Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Tomorrow, we'll have college football. Real live college football with teams we care about. Utah will be playing Weber State. Also at the same time, if you're looking for somewhere to channel surf during commercial breaks, I would suggest Boise State and Central Florida. UCF and uh, Boise State are open this season. The mega showdown for a group of five teams. So that ought to be a good game. And for Utah State and BYU fans, well, there you go. That's one of your opponents right there in the Broncos. And they got a new coaching staff, obviously. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. It'll be fun tomorrow. The big news yesterday was that Kalani Sataki got a contract extension through 2025. Now, BYU is a private school, so there are all types of questions that aren't answered. You know, at a public school, you can use the Freedom of Information Act. You can find out how much money is guaranteed, how small or big are the buyouts, um, did he get pay bumps along the way? You know, there, there are plenty of questions to, uh, to ask and answer. But it's a private school, so you can't do Freedom of Information Act. You reserve that for the state universities and the public schools. So we'll just have to leave those questions unanswered for now. Maybe something will come out later, but it'll take time. Right now, let's focus on the games at hand. And for BYU, they had media availability. Utah did not. Normally, they would on a Tuesday. But because they have a Thursday game, they shut everything down. But the Cougars, with the Saturday game, did have media availability. Defensive quarter, coordinator Elisa Tuiaki speaking with the media about the Cougars and the Wildcats. That practice was good. You know, obviously just uh, continuing to prep for uh, Arizona. Um, you know, just uh, we've, we had a little bit of a crossover with the offense as well, just to kind of get some good on good work. And um, at least from a coach's perspective, before watching film, just uh, everything's looking Looking like uh, it's headed in the right direction, so we're excited about that. We're keeping everybody pretty healthy, getting some guys back that have been dinged up and should have a, a pretty good roster going into the game. Take any questions? Sean Walker. Say that again. Co- Coach, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you get – we'll get to Arizona here shortly, but the big news of the hour, I guess, is things are finally official with Kalani being extended through 2025. Well, uh, can, can you just give us a little bit of, of insight into what that kind of means for Kalani uh, personally and the program and kind of what he's done here to be able to be extended now again, I guess, just a couple of years after yeah, he had another one? That's, that's, it's great news. You know, we, uh, we just got done with practice and just heard about it. And Kalani leaves just a little early on Tuesdays to go and do his, uh, his coach's show. And so we're actually not able to uh, tackle him and, and uh, congratulate him. I and mean, that's just total elation throughout the whole team. The boys were cheering when they heard, um, you know, obviously they, they love him as a head coach. We love him as coaches and no Cougar nation loves him too. And it just uh, means a lot. I know to him uh, for us to have him for, for that long and uh, you know, the administration showing the belief in him and, and the direction that the program's going. So totally, uh, totally excited about that. <clears throat> Jared, do you have a question? Along the same lines, coach, just coaching is such college coaching in college football is such a transient business. And you guys, you guys know that, you know, if, if success doesn't come, then, you know, the, the things might change or, or you might have other opportunities if it does come. What's it like just having that uh, security as far as the head coach goes for, for, you know, a longer period of time as far as being a coordinator? Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, um, you know, like you, like you said, there's, there's a lot of change that happens when you're not doing well. And there's a lot of change that happens when you're doing well. And so, 
um, you know, to see the, the, the type of season that we had, the administration, um, you know, back up Kalani and the future of this program. And this means a lot uh, for us as coaches that, uh, you know, we're in a, in a pretty good spot, just obviously happy that we've got jobs. And, uh, you know, at least for this year, we want to do a really good job and, and see how things go after. But I think just for the future of the program, for recruiting, for kids to know that, uh, the young kids that are currently in the program, the kids that are being recruited, kids coming off missions that they've got Kalani here is uh, is really important for us and uh, the success of the program moving forward. Let's see, we'll have Mitch and then uh, Jay Drew. Yeah, Lisa, with uh, Arizona, uh, at least according to what their coaches said last week, uh, incorporating a two-quarterback system, what challenges does does that create for the preparation for your defense this week? Um, certainly, you got to make sure that we've got we're we're sound in, in having a, a backup plan and um, contingency plan with with both of the uh, the quarterbacks and just the challenges that they that they bring. Um, you know, just uh, it's uh, we're probably going to have a little bit more scheme involved just because of that, uh, just to make sure that we're ready for them. But that that certainly does uh, you know pose a little bit more of a problem for us just because. Uh, the unknowns always always real difficult to know what you're going to end up doing when things when, when bullets are flying. This is the the first game that you got the BYU has had against a Power Five team since 2019, and I know that there's good football across all levels. You guys played some good teams last year too, but uh, maybe what's what's some of the the differences that go into you know facing a a Power Five team? Is is their their talent much of a difference that you have to? get used to what, what are some of the, the challenges of just a power five opponent? You know, like, like you said, um, there's a lot of good football uh, all across the country. There's some teams that, um, you know, that, that are, that are playing good ball and have good personnel and get, get their kids drafted into the NFL. So there's a lot of good players all over the place. I think with, when you're talking about uh, playing a, uh, you know, playing a, a certain um, caliber of team, it's just, uh, you get, uh, you know, you get, you uh, Bigger offensive linemen, bigger defensive linemen, a little bit more speed on the perimeter. Um, you know, the drop off between the ones, twos, and threes is probably not as not as big as when you're you're seeing other teams. There's the, the drop off between the ones and twos are probably a little bit more. But uh, you know, it's it's there's good ball everywhere. It's really difficult to just say when you're playing a when you're playing a power five team versus somebody who's not. You know, we played a lot of teams last year that I thought were really really good, uh, good sound, great looking teams. You know, one that comes to mind is is uh, UTSA was uh, – I felt like you could have you put UCLA's uniforms on them and you could have been playing, you know, a Pac-12 team. They were – I thought that they were that good as far as just the way their team looked and how physical they were. And so um, it's, it's, it's hard to tell. depends on just which team you're playing and what their personnel is. But I think it's really just the depth is probably the biggest thing that you're looking at with uh, – we're talking about playing a P5 team. Hey, with the depth chart coming out yesterday, we noticed uh, Malik Moore moved into the starting safety spot. What what did he do to earn that spot? And uh, what do you expect out of that safeties group, which uh, has Chaz IU as the other starter? Yeah, c- consistency has been the biggest thing. You know, we've got a lot of guys there that um, have contributed through the years, mostly on special teams. But being able to see somebody who's con- who's consistent, uh, knows the defense, can uh, can make the calls and all the checks and all those things. And Malik's done a really good job. Uh, this camp and shown that uh, uh, you know athletically as well as just uh, mentally he can he can do the job for us. So we're excited to to have him and Chaz there. 
Um, we've got a couple other guys there that are going to be great backups, but Malik is certainly showing that he's uh, earned the job. Thanks. That's all I got. Sean Walker. Coach, if I could go back to the, the, I, I always find it kind of uh, interesting, maybe even a little bit weird when teams like to roll out the, the two quarterback look or the platoon quarterbacks or that kind of thing. You, you talked about how difficult it is to kind of prepare for that and replicate it. And you got to be, have your backup plans and your contingencies and stuff, but you guys have a lot of quarterbacks in the scout in your, your scout team room, I guess, um, just because of the sheer numbers. Does that maybe help? And I'm, trying not to have you give away too much of the game plan, but does that help to be able to kind of replicate sort of the different things that I guess Arizona can do with multiple guys? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, the, the, the quarterbacks that, that the offense has been able to share with us as far as the guys that are, that are playing and traveling and not traveling right now and just the things that they're doing. I mean, they've, they've given us several different looks that have been uh, good for us to kind of prep forward and to, uh, you know, make sure that our game plans are, are sound um, and we've got the right right people in the right spots as far as packages. Let's go, uh, Jared Lloyd, and then Mitch Harper. Coach, uh, yesterday the captains were released. Uh, information about that. Just wanted you to talk about those guys that were elected uh, captains and and part of the leadership council. Yeah, it's uh, I think Kalani mentioned it uh, when he was talking about them, and it's uh, there was there was an obvious um, <clears throat> obvious boat separation be- between the four guys and the rest. But um, I think it just goes to show in the type of team that that uh, we've got here, and the type of team that type t- type of kids that are here in the program is there's so many kids that got a lot of votes, and and so um, you know the the sheer um, you know. I guess it's just the, the factor of leadership that you're getting with all the type of kids that you have here is really, really good. And we've got leaders all across the board. They're kids that, uh, you know, ended up not making the, the, the alternate uh, captains, um, you know, team that the co-captains team that, that uh, still, we still see as guys that are contributors as far as leadership and, and kids that are completely bought into what we're doing. And I think it's just a good sign. And those, those kids all deserve that. Oh, Elisa, yesterday on, on that uh, program you're on with Coordinator's Corner, uh, Ed Lamb noted uh, one of the safeties, Ammon Hanneman, was a guy that uh, uh, surprised in fall camp and was making made a lot of progress, if you will, uh, during camp. I'm, I'm curious for maybe defensive line and linebackers, who were some other individuals that you thought took big strides? Maybe they're not necessarily starters, but they're guys that made big leaps forward in their development during the past month to get ready that can contribute this season. It's the ones that come off the top of my head, Ben Bywater, probably at the backer spots. You, you, you've known of the other guys. I mean, Max, uh, Keenan, and Peyton have, have uh, really been in the limelight. Ben was was hurt, banged up last year, and is coming back. And so, he's looking like a looking like a, a really good player right now. And um, uh, John Nelson and Blake Mangelson are probably the two guys at the D line spot that don't have any experience or new to it, but are going to be kids that uh, play in this first game, and we're going to we're going to rely on to come in and and help us win. There's the defensive coordinator, Elisa Tuiaki. When we come back, former Ute Frank Dolce, our Ute insider, talking quarterbacks and wide receivers. Who's going to be the guy at wide receiver for Utah? We will get to that coming up with Frank. Stay with us. 
It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. The Cougars hit the road for their season opener in Las Vegas to square off against Arizona. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7.30, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, time to talk Utah football with the former Ute quarterback, Frank Dolce. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. Frank joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. And that's for you who was watering the sidewalks yesterday. You know who you were. Fix it. Frank, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Good morning, TK. I uh, hope you guys are doing well. We are uh, doing DJ. well. Yeah. Yes. DJ, are you... Did you did you uh, did you lose your voice? You sound a little hoarse. Every once in a while, yeah the the uh, the old uh, the old throat just sticks. I don't know what happens. So I, well, it's because me, me, me. you are you use that instrument so often. You need a rest day. <laughs> I do need a rest day. You're right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. PK, do you ever get back to the South Bay? Oh, of course, absolutely. Yeah, in fact, uh, because of Pac-12 Media Day, I go at least once a year, if not oh, multiple yeah. times. I have been uh, since I moved 28 years ago. I've probably been back there 60 times. I mean, my wife's stepmother still lives there. Uh, her father died 30 years ago. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I and this last trip, I bought a T-shirt down in Hermosa that says the South Bay on it. And I wear it proudly, Frank. Proudly. Nice. Oh man, I need to find that shop. I need to get one of those. And a friend of mine uh, yesterday lives down there, and he took a picture. He likes to taunt me. He took a picture from one of the bar restaurants in Hermosa, looking out towards the pier uh, and the water. And of course, it was a bright, sunny day, no smoke or any yeah. of that stuff. And I texted yeah. him. I said, "Yeah, Hermosa always works for me." And why don't you go back and shut up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, absolutely. He's got pe- he's got people and places scattered, basically from Manhattan to Newport. Yeah, Manhattan my, Beach my to brother, Newport Beach. Yeah, my brother. We grew up in Culver City, but my brother has just moved to Manhattan Beach. Uh, mm. So I'm rich. yeah, I'm feeling the same way. Like a little a little jealous about that circumstance. <laughs> yeah, they don't text you pictures though when they're stuck in traffic because it took them. Uh, Took him an hour and a half to go ten miles. So four hours to get yeah. from. Yeah, I used to drive from my house in Culver City, which is twelve miles, about twelve miles away from El Camino Junior College. And if I got there in an hour, I was doing pretty well. <laughs> How did you end up going to El Camino? Because there's other JCs that you could have gone and played for. Did you? I mean, obviously they had a great football program under Featherstone. Was it the lore of the football program? Well, so so, uh, so Santa Monica Junior College was closer. That would yeah. have been like the, no the more reasonable, I guess, one. But but football wise, Santa Monica wasn't nearly what El Camino was no. at that point. Yeah, and and so I, it's so funny because I happened to be at uh, an awards bank, banquet after my senior year with my head coach in high school, Fred Fuller, was his name. 
And as the banquet was concluding and we were running out, this little guy with, you know, always looks like he's running a thousand miles an hour, comes over and introduces himself and says, Hey, I'm John Featherstone. I'm the head coach at El Camino Junior College. We'd love to have you come and take a look. And that was the start and the end of my recruiting (laughs) (laughs) to El Camino Junior College. I immediately said, yeah, I'd like to go play for that guy. And that was it. Simple. The, 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 the simple, innocent days. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Isn't that the truth? I don't know what in the world would have happened if he said, and we have this name engine like, like this program, and you can do this, and you can do that. I mean, I would have, my mind would have exploded. <laughs> so I'm curious what your number one question is about the youths heading into the opener with Weber State. What do you want to know? I, well, I have. A, I think I have a lot of questions. Um, I, it's probably too simple to say. Is I want to know if the quarterback is is the real deal. Um, but I, but I, but I think that position is so critical for Utah that I, I guess that's I'm I'm most curious about that. I feel like I know everything, or I have a sense of everything else that's that's happening on the offensive side. Like we we. <laughs> We're we we're concerned about the offensive line and who's you know which five are going to be there. I know they named five or six, but but which five are going to be there and which guys are going to work out? And um, I mean, I think there's I'm I'm a little soft on the wide receiver group. I think there's some talent there, but not maybe not the depth of talent that we were hoping for. Love the tight end group, and we're just going to be running back by committee for two or three games until until someone emerges and maybe no one really emerges, but, but if you run a two quarterback, a two, two running back system, excuse me, then, then, you know, even if you kind of work three guys in there, that's a little more difficult, but you're, you'll be okay. So it still comes down to quarterback play for me. If, if Utah's going to be really successful on the offensive side. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. I think I, I suppose for me, the biggest eyebrow raiser is the offensive line because receivers, it's been the position has been the same for several years now. We're waiting mm-hmm. for some big-time guy to emerge, and it really hasn't happened. doesn't mean they're not good, but we haven't had somebody, uh, Nikhil Harry-type player, you throw the ball and he makes a play. So I expect the same there. Tight ends, I'm very, very confident. Running back, uh, I'm... I'm okay with because I knew this is the way it was going to be. Once the Ty Jordan situation happened, it was all right. Who are they going to get in the transfer portal? Because they're going to get guys. They got two guys from two big name schools. They got a junior college transfer and a holdover who didn't get a whole lot of opportunity. So uh, I just have to go on their history. But uh, the offensive line surprises me that on the Monday before the game, Kyle Whittingham is saying we're not sure. I'm wondering, too, Frank, though, if, say, it was – it probably wouldn't be this case, but if you were to open with a conference opponent, would you be a little more sure? Are you a little unsure because it's Weber State and you're expected to win? I think Utah has that luxury of playing Weber State first uh, because, you. Should, I mean – even if Utah's uncertain, unsettled at the offensive line, um, if you're just going kind of talent for talent, you should be able to overcome that. Right. Um, 
because because you should be more talented up front. And so I think you do have that luxury. I think that's an excellent observation of of saying, well, we're just going to, you know, we're going to try out a couple guys. We're going to try out a few guys up front. Uh, on the defensive line, that it's never an issue because Utah rotates like eight guys every year. So we're never concerned about the starters on the defensive line because there's a natural rotation that occurs with that group. But you can't do that with the offensive line. It's It's interesting. Offensive line, it seems like you have to have five settled. And even if you insert one new guy, then you're a little nervous about what's going to happen on the on the next play. Same with the quarterback position. It's just two quarterback system never works. So so it is it is interesting that that's where we are with the offensive line. And and you know as much as I like Coach Harding, and I think as much as Coach Whittingham puts all of his trust in Coach Harding, that's a position group that I think all, a lot of us were hoping would be more settled at this point. Um, under Coach Harding, like we would feel like there's a solid five every year with a couple guys who are in the battle for a starting position, and it hasn't materialized the way I think we were hoping it would on the on the offensive front. Is there a receiver you trust to be a breakout guy? I keep thinking. I thought this about linebackers for a long time, and it's finally happened. Hey, linebackers ought to want to play behind that defensive line. And yeah. that's really, you know, over the it's maybe it's evolved a little bit, but it's definitely happened, right? They have upgraded their linebackers over where they were a decade ago. And so I keep thinking no. it's going to happen with wide receiver. Like everybody wants to go somewhere where they can be the guy. Well, go to Utah and be the guy. I mean, everybody throws the ball 25 times a game. If you're the number one receiver, how many times are you going to be targeted? Who cares if they don't throw it 40 times a game? It, you know, you'll get yours. I keep thinking it's going to happen. Obviously, I haven't been right yet, but PK will tell you I'm stubborn. You know, I'll keep banging my head against the wall. Is I this the year? I don't. I don't know that this is the year. I mean, I guess uh, I, I don't. I mean, I don't think that. I think Covey's going to be really good. I don't think he's going to have a breakout year, uh, um, and and maybe set the world on fire. I, I don't know what, exactly what that means. Set the world on fire, but he's going to be good. Um, I think. I think Solomon Enos is a guy that is is super talented, and and maybe if he has an opportunity to catch six, seven, eight balls a game, then then maybe we see something different out of him. I really thought that when Utah got a hold of Darren Carrington, and Carrington had a pretty good year, and he was just I don't I don't know he just was a different guy. Like when you watched him run routes, catch the ball, do things after he caught the ball. You could just tell that this was a different guy in the in the in the Utah receiving core. I thought that maybe there would be this you know Darren Carrington effect, and maybe a couple guys would say, "Hey, look, you know what you're what you're saying, DJ. I can go there and catch 10, 15 balls a game. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be the spotlight in the wide receiver group. That's not a bad thing at Utah." So, uh, but it but it didn't materialize. I I know. I, is it just is it too much to ask that Utah get a CD Lamb every once in a while <laughs> and just have have that guy running around? I mean, my heavens, USC could spare one of their four or five receivers <laughs> going to end up in the in the NFL. Um, so I I don't know. I I I don't see a breakout guy necessarily. I think it's a it's a it's a group that's athletic and has potential 
and still is the biggest, you know, offensive line wide receiver is still the biggest question mark on the offensive side. All right, Frank, then how much of that is simply reputation as to why they can't get it? Because it seems like they can get everything else. It's a really, it's a really good question. And it's really easy for an opposing coach to recruit against Utah in the wide receiver group because the numbers just don't support Utah doing anything other than being really good up front and running the ball and establishing the run game and then, you know, offsetting it with a, with a decent passing game. Um, and not, not, you know, and when I say a decent passing game, it's like, you know, average type, type of numbers um, that are, that, that wouldn't, wouldn't impress anybody who's trying to, to make the next step to the NFL. So, um, I think it's probably more – I'm sure that the coaching staff is out, you know, scraping the dirt to try and find the, the right guy at the wide receiver. But reputation is – it's just a little bit difficult to overcome. I, that's right. Like, I feel like Utah needs uh, an, a, another Darren Carrington, another Steve Smith, another Kevin Dyson – but then really, you know, really utilize that guy and highlight that position to, to say, look, yeah, we run the ball, and that's going to be the foundation of our, of our offense. But, um, but look, you can be a star at the, at the wide receiver group. I mean, it's the same, a little bit the same for Stanford. No, no, there's hardly ever a wide receiver that comes out of Stanford because the reputation and the history is, well, we're just going to be really good up front. We have a great tight end or two. And we're going to run the ball. And, right. you know, that's going to be it. And we just need a quarterback who's kind of a game manager. We don't need a superstar. So yeah. reputation, I think, is definitely the, the issue here. Okay, you can say Stanford, but, I mean, Simi Fajoko is on the Wasatch front, and he goes to Stanford and he gets drafted. So, yes, Stanford, but... And three years well, earlier, J.J. Arcega Whiteside got drafted. Yeah, so so even there's, Stanford. There's one I know. You say even Stanford, but there are probably probably other factors at play. I mean, I get it. Uh, Stanford is one of a kind. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to have to go there. I mean, no, it's I'm, true. My, you know, it's, my heart, yeah. hearts with Utah, but 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 I have to be honest. If if one of my kids said, "Hey, Dad," you know. Stanford's offering and, and Utah's offering and BYU's offering, um, what do you think? Well, I mean... You think Stanford. Uh, yeah. That's pretty, <laughs> well, uh, you that's you pretty, think Stanford or I will kick you out of the house and you will be disinherited immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Come now, on. I'll throw San Diego State in the mix and then we might have a... You know, we might have and every kid who gets a, a full scholarship to Stanford, their acceptance rate is low compared to others. But the fa- the number of people who get offered versus the people who accept the scholarship, it's extremely high. Yeah, I so think put them a aside. First, a first in the history of collegiate admissions is, ne- is Stanford has a negative admission rate. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> So as far as what they're going to show, basically, against Weber, uh, your offensive coordinator, your Andy Ludwig, 
how much do you put out there in the playbook? Because you've got the cat and mouse game with the next week, and you got you do have a new quarterback. Although everybody has tons of film on him for all those starts in Baylor, but do you hold back a little bit? What do you do there? I think the the, the playbook is thin uh, in terms of variety, uh, but so so yeah. I mean, I guess holding hold back a little bit. But I I also I also think you have to figure out who your running back is or you want to get some better idea who your running back is going to be uh, heading into the Pac-12. And, and so you're going to get a lot of work out of that group, um, you know, 30, 40 carries out of that group. And then, and then you want to see what your quarterback r- really does when the lights turn on. And so I think you're going to give him a lot of throws. I think you're going to give him a lot of opportunities to, to put the ball in the air and to see how he manages pressure and see how he manages different situations. And so I could see um, a little bit of a vanilla offense in terms of variety, but in terms of play calling, balance, run, pass, mix, um, maybe slightly heavy on the run side, only slightly heavy on the run side, and then really try and figure out what you have at the quarterback position by by giving an giving an opportunity there. Go the other way. Show everything in the playbook and make them prep for everything, even stuff you would never run against them. <laughs> Play the mind I, game. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And um, you know Andy Ludwig, and I know Andy Ludwig. That doesn't seem like that's in the Andy Ludwig personality. I mean, I think... To me, he Andy Ludwig is, and one of the great things about him is he is much more methodical, much more analytical, and um, I don't think that he, I don't think he likes to play games. Although I will say this, uh, when when Utah played Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, uh, which was Andy Ludwig's last game and his first stint. Uh, I thought that it was all of a sudden he became a different and like the playbook changed and all of a sudden he became a different, um, slightly different coordinator and they were doing things with the quarterback position of Brian Johnson that they just hadn't done during his, during his time there. So, so he did throw a curveball in that game and, and that certainly was the right formula uh, against uh, coach Saban in Alabama. Well, Frank, we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you every week all year long, talking to you football right here on The Zone. Man, I, I really appreciate it. I love talking to you guys. I just I have one question. If, if we have two seconds, I have one question for, for PK. And, DJ, you can jump in on this as well, because I know PK is a, is a golf guy. But, but I watched that tournament, and I watched DeChambeau, who is difficult to like, tell Cantlay to stop walking or ask Cantlay to stop walking. And I just want your thought. Is that the right thing to do, or is that the biggest, um, well, what, what's the appropriate word for Shambo? I mean, there's lots of them. Was that the, is the it a biggest? sign of weakness, I think, is what you're trying to say. That's a very, that's a very nice way to put it. Yes, nice I know the other thing you're trying to say, and I'm glad you didn't say it. <laughs> yeah. Yach would have had to scramble and hit the dumb button. Everybody would have freaked well, is out. It, is it a compound word? Is the first word chicken? <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> yep. 
The great thing about that is Cantlay was not going to be denied. If I was a gambler, once they went to OT, I would have put DJ's financial report and history all on Cantlay, and that's a substantial amount of money, Frank. Everything, his entire portfolio is the word I'm looking Whoa. for. Well, that's eight. We're talking yeah. like eight figures, right? I mean, that's a big. That's a big thing. I don't. I don't so, even want to think about the lack of bladder control I had if I had. Uh, wagered wagered it all on Cantley making one of those putts, which he made them. But man, repeatedly, I would have been, been dying as he lined up another fifteen. Watching Cantley play was watching <laughs> oh, like Kobe or MJ in a shooting zone. He was dialed in mm-hmm. completely, and completely I still I in. don't have a stomach for that kind of thing, and I would have <laughs> lost it. <laughs> Even though okay, it would have been so, the right thing to do, I would have lost it. So was Deshambo right? Or was he just being DeShambo? I think this is the latter is what I would say. Yeah. It didn't come across the right way. I mean, I think there's probably a way that you could say, you know, hey, Patrick, uh, you know, trying to hit over here. Could you <laughs> could you not walk for a second or or some way? But the way what that would Tiger have done? Things, what would Tiger do? I, Tiger he would have won it in regulation. Stepped, he, he would have, he, yeah, he would have won by twelve in regulation. He would have stepped away from the ball, and he would have just looked over his shoulder. Yes, I totally agree. But he would have shot that that laser glare that would like fries an egg on the sidewalk, even when it's yeah. forty degrees out. And he looked, yeah. and then he looked back at his ball. He would have gotten the tunnel vision, and he would have smoked that thing to within you know five feet of the pin, and then probably yeah. shot another death glare over his shoulder. Like you know yeah. better, and you know you know better. Spun the club, maybe walked over to him and said something like, "Hey, did you see that shot? That was pretty good, wasn't it?" You know. <laughs> now stand still, but, comma. <laughs> yeah, no, don't walk around anymore. Frank, we yeah, appreciate yeah. it. Thanks a lot. Absolutely, guys. Talk to you soon. Have a great week. There is Frank Dolce, the former Ute quarterback, joining us all year long. Coming up next, another guy who's going to join us every week all season long, the former BYU wide receiver Dylan Cauley. Will he have a bold prediction about this quarterback, the way he did the last quarterback? That'll be PK's first question, you know. Coming up next, stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes get set for an in-state showdown against Weber State at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Catch the Ute pregame show Thursday at 4, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference. Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to talk BYU football with Dylan Cauley, former Cougar wide receiver, joining us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret... No secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why the Smart Rain guess or the Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Dylan, good morning. Good morning. How we doing? Good. Are you finally ready for some football game week? Enough of the I mean, uh, analysis and the guessing. An actual game. We are back. We are back, and it feels good. All right, I'm going to do something stupid. I'm going to challenge a colleague. Every time I've done that, I've lost. But I'm going to do it again. Dylan, you made the outrageous prediction about Zach Wilson. The floor is yours about Jaron Hall. 
<laughs> and, and, I, and I feel, I think the bad part is I feel good about this challenge. Uh, <laughs> You're a colleague. <laughs> <laughs> the, the interesting thing is when Jaron had the opportunity to kind of come in and the mindset, the personality, right, is all very, very similar to Zach. Um, but you look at the level of maturity and advancement in Jaron, and obviously, right, a little bit older, um, obviously a, a, a family man in terms of his, his beautiful wife and daughter. Um, Jaron is one of the most athletic people I've ever been around. I mean, that goes without saying. I mean, the guy went and played baseball and had zero problems doing it. Um, you know, the ceiling for him is, is really unknown to everybody, right? How, how good can he be? He's going to be phenomenal. He's going to be extremely good. Um, the only real difference that you have between the two is right. Jaron's just getting a later start. And so how fast does he hit that ceiling is, is kind of unknown, Right, because he has to kind of grow into the potential. Now he gets this opportunity to play a full season as a starting quarterback, and you know, obviously Kalani and, and A Rod have put their full trust in him, and so I think the team trusts him. He's a guy that's been around for a very long time, um, and and has proved that he can be extremely successful. And so, you know, uh, obviously to, to sit there and say, "Hey, is he the next Zach Wilson?" I think that's that's unfair to do because Zach is obviously in, his, in a league of his own, but um, Jaron is going to be extremely phenomenal. I don't think there's going to be much of a, a, a beat skip, uh, you know, this, this year. Do you think that all the quarterbacks who were in the program a year ago benefited from watching Zach be a football junkie, a film junkie, and realizing that there is one level where you're preparing, but if you really want to be excellent – you got to double down on that and go to a whole nother level. Did guys learn that watching him in a way that you can be told it, but it just doesn't sink in? Absolutely. I think obviously the big change, because I know, I know Jaron was mentally preparing for games as he was the starting quarterback. That's, there's no question about that. Jaron was ready every single week. He was putting that time in, right? He was putting that effort in. I think the biggest difference is, is, they got to see what Zach did, right, in a physical preparation. That's where the the set was kind of – that's where the mark was set, right? And now Jaron's saying, you know what, obviously Zach did a pretty smart thing by going to work with John Beck and taking his game to the next level. Um, I need to go and do that as well. And, and that was obviously, right, the biggest difference um, and kind of the biggest advantage that, that Jaron had and, and – you know, probably a huge reason for his success uh, during fall camp and ultimately getting the nod. So I think that's the biggest kind of takeaway from last year was what are you doing outside physically to prepare to make yourself not just an okay athletic quarterback, but a phenomenal quarterback all around. One of the more interesting things I think you just said is the team trusts him. How important is that? Oh, it's everything, right? It's, it's very hard. And not, there's no team in the country, I think, that is out there except maybe a Clemson, right, that has a quarterback that goes from being a top three pick to 
going to the second guy and everyone being like, yeah, we're not, we're not really, we're not skipping a beat. There isn't some level set different. Um, and so, you know, where a lot of guys can come in and say, hey, this isn't, this is going to be rough, right? Everyone's walking around on tippy toes in the locker room saying, guys, like, remember, like, we don't have Zach. Whereas today, I know people are in that locker room saying, hey, <laughs> this is Jaron's team and Jaron's ready to rock. And so, um, that's going to be a huge difference in carrying the momentum from last year and saying, hey, all of this talk, all of this Big 12 talk, all of this national spotlight and attention, right? Jaron's not just the person that's going to help us win games. Jaron's the one that's going to help us maintain the momentum that we have from last year. Dylan Cauley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. So with Jaron, I am nervous because I saw him get a couple concussions real quick and I didn't even mm-hmm. think he got hit that that much on the second one. Easy for me to say I wasn't the one getting hit. But as much as that worries me, I get confidence from the fact that he didn't play a year ago, and so I've read a bunch of stuff that, hey, the further you get between them, the better off you are. So I think that's a huge positive. Uh, I'm not a doctor, so I only know what I read you know, what I read and what I hear watching football and watching other players. I wasn't even pre-med on Friday nights at Arizona State like PK. <laughs> at least he's got some background. <laughs> What's your level of confidence in Jaron's ability to stay healthy and stay away from a concussion that's going to turn all of our stomachs? And yeah, that's 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 always that's always the question, right? And um, I think the biggest part of that ultimately is as weird as this might be, and as odd as this might be to bring it into sports, but it's going to be. I think it really just comes down to his faith, right? And and knowing that he's being watched out for and hopefully is, um, you know, mentally and physically prepared to take some hits um, because, you know, there are a lot of things that happen when, when you're not ready and, and you tighten up and your body tightens up and physically, you know, uh, if you're going around on your city toes and hopefully hoping not to get hit, that's when you leave yourself the most open for, for those types of injuries. Right. And so I think, as long as he stays confident, as long as he allows himself to take some hits, especially early on, right, I think we're better off in the long run in maintaining kind of his health and staying physical. If he goes out there and everyone's on eggshells about it, right, I think we're going to see a lot more opportunity in, in him being a lot more prone to, to getting hurt. But um, obviously the time has been huge. He's been taking care of his body. And it's a matter of, you know, just uh, going out there and still kind of going balls to the walls so that you're not uh, you're not playing tight and finding yourself in that situation where you're going to get injured, you know, just because mentally you're scared. So looking at this BYU offense, you know, they lost Dax Mill, and obviously he was a big-time receiver and Zach Wilson doing all the throwing. So you'd think that, wow. That's a lot of production. You lost offensive line, uh, at least one to the NFL, and you think that's a blow. And, you know, it is, obviously, no question about that. But I look at the number of guys returning and combined with the the Nakua brothers who transferred in as receivers. If I look at receiver, tight ends, and running backs, I believe that in terms of depth and talent, this is one of the better groups maybe in the history of BYU football returning what do you expect out of this offense? Yeah, I, a lot. Like, I, I think this this offense has the ability to do 
extremely special things against the schedule that they're going with. Um, you know, you look at you look at the depth, right, that you're talking about, and it is it is a lot of people who have produced a lot of, of statistics and a lot of success on the football field, all the way from top to bottom, right? From you know, Neil has been playing consistently. Gunner has been playing consistently. You know, the Nakua brothers have been playing consistently at a top, top level of visual and football. Um, and so, you know, there really isn't, you're not coming into this game with a wondering of, ooh, how's this person going to play? You know exactly how this person's going to play. You know how each person's going to play against the University of Arizona, right? Because there's a history to it, and they all have had experiences with, uh, with U of A. You look at the tight end. You look at Isaac, right, the success that he has, the confidence that he has, Dallin Holker. I mean, I don't think people understand. Dallin Holker and Isaac Rex have the opportunity, right, to be the best one-two punch uh, at tight end that BYU has had in probably 10 years since Dennis Pitt and Andrew George, right? Like, those are two tight ends that are playing, you know, one, extremely physical, extremely large in physical stature, but play at a receiver-type athletic ability, right? Like, that's unstoppable. You can't – it doesn't matter who you're playing. You can't defend both of those guys. Um, and then you top it off with, you know, uh, Peeney and Tyler Algier at running back. You know, for them, the biggest thing, that's my concern of health, right, is how can the running back stay healthy – how can we make sure that these two guys are given the opportunity to stay healthy? Um, because if they stay healthy, I think that's the health this year. Whereas last year it was obviously Zach. If Peeney and Tyler Algier stay stay healthy, I'm I'm not sure what defense is going to have a good opportunity to stop to stop BYU's offense. What do you know about the University of Arizona, or do you even want to know anything about that football team? Is game one just all about yourself and your own team and how they play? No. I think you have, you have two teams on two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? You have a team that garnered a ton of national attention last year, right, is riding this wave, is on this absolute train of, uh, of, of spotlight and success. And then you have a team who didn't win a single game last year in their conference and only played five games, right? And so you need to understand the other side of it. You need to know that, hey, guys, if BYU comes into this game and this game is close or this game is kind of uh, there are spots where it's like, you know, Arizona is playing extremely well and they play better than BYU, which is I highly doubt going to happen. Then it's honestly kind of like an eye-opening worry, right? <laughs> uh, because of the way Arizona has been the last few years and what they've kind of had to overcome now um, with with someone leaving and now Jed Fish coming in and really kind of pressing restart. You have two freshman quarterbacks who are going to be splitting time. Um, you know, with what is writing on this season for BYU – you better understand who they are, how they play, right? The mental side of, of their worries and their self-conscious attributes. 
uh, so that you can take full advantage. Because to be honest with you, this game this game should not be close. A lot of BYU kids on the roster are from Pac-12 territories, you being one of them, you're not on the roster, but obviously you grew up in California and you followed the Pac-10 slash 12 probably your whole life like we all have. Uh, how much extra fun do you think it's going to be playing five Pac-12 teams this season to where you can really compare yourself against a bunch of teams, uh, including from the South Division where the Utes are in? Yeah, I mean... Um... You know, there is it's exciting football, right? And there's a level of athleticism that we get to show that we can keep up with, um, and that BYU gets to kind of put themselves on a pedestal that says, "Hey, all the discussion that's gone on about being a Power Five, uh, you know, we're we're right up there." And I think outside of the University of Utah, right, we've done we've done pretty well against the Pac-12. Right? I think we'd find ourselves in a top spot in the Pac-12, especially the Pac-12 now. Um, and so, you know, this is this is real proving ground to take advantage of this type of opportunity and kind of prove out where, where BYU stands on a national level. All right, before University of Washington fans jump in and start saying stuff, we will uh, let you go, Dylan. We appreciate the time, as always, and we will talk to you every week, all season long, and PK will constantly come up and challenge you to say outrageous things because you're a colleague, and he would expect nothing less than definitive statements. (laughs) Done. I'm all for it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Excited to be with you guys. There's Dylan Colley, the former BYU wide receiver. Thanks to him, he'll be on every week all year long. So will Frank Dolce, the former Utah quarterback, who you heard earlier this hour. And if you miss any of these interviews, remember, everything's available at 1280thezone.com or wherever you get podcasts. When we return, what is trending? All the headlines, next. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag college football. It's great news. You know, we uh, we just got done with practice and just heard about it. And Kalani leaves just a little early on Tuesdays to go and do his uh, his coach's show. And so we're actually not able to uh, tackle him and, and uh, congratulate him. I and mean, that's just total elation throughout the whole team. The boys were cheering when they heard. Obviously, they, they love him as head coach. We love him as coaches. And you no know, Cougar Nation loves him, too. And it just uh, means a lot you know, to him for us to have him for, for that long. And, you know, the administration showing the belief in him and, and the direction that the program's going. And so totally, uh, totally excited about that. Elijah Tuiaki, BYU defensive coordinator, talking about the contract extension for Kalani Sataki. Got an extension a couple years ago through 2023. Now he's got one through 2025. Tack a couple more years on. PK, we've seen a million times that schools and coaches who want to get around contracts can get around contracts. But nonetheless, it does carry a little bit of weight. But coming off an 11-win season, you can't be that surprised. I think it's extremely uh, great news for BYU, as uh, Tuiaki said. I think it's some form of symbolism is that we believe in him. You know, who knows what's going to happen if some Pac-12 team comes calling and wants to double his salary. BYU relishes like a pig in mud that they're so happy to say we don't uh, get in that arms race. So they could lose him. 
but you can't control that. What they can control is them giving an opportunity to show security and tell people in the community, hey, we support this guy, and tell recruits we support this guy. And so all that stuff, that's what they can do right now, and they did it. And I think it's very positive news for BYU. Very, I, I, I couldn't be happier for the guy because everybody loves him. There's no doubt about that. And I think he deserved it. You know, they gave Mark Pope an extension after one season. And so Kalani's got the program going in the right direction. And he's got an opportunity for anybody who doubts that to prove them wrong and show them this season. Apparently it's time for extensions because BYU is not the only team with news. Texas A&M finalizing a new contract extension for Jimbo Fisher. His average salary will now move to $9 million, according to reports. He's entering his fourth year at Texas A&M. He originally signed a 10-year, $75 million contract when he left Florida State to go to A&M. So this bumps the deal back up, so he's got 10 more years. It's now running through 2030. And it's worth more than $90 million. He's now the second-highest-paid college coach behind Nick Saban. That's a ton of cash. But it's the Jumbo's SEC. Jumbo's now Jumbo. Yeah, right. Jumbo! <laughs> Nebraska's home sellout streak remains intact. They've got their money game with Fordham. That doesn't sound like a great experience, but a couple of boosters... Went in and bought up the remaining tickets, and it's going to a new uh, program Nebraska started called the Red Carpet Experience, which provides tickets and a small meal to children in eighth grade or younger. So you got some kids who normally wouldn't be able to go to a game, and they're going to send them <laughs> to a game and keep their sellout streak intact for now. So what is a small meal? One dog, one hot dog, and a <laughs> small soda. Not a big one. Do you get a you get a bun? Small one. Sure, you get a bun. <laughs> You might even get access to ketchup and mustard, but pickle relish is a step too far. Onions, please. Uh, well, this kind of reminds me of uh, the play, play uh, consecutive play streak, uh, game streak, I'm trying to say. I yes. AC Green had one, and he got popped in the face or something. Yep. And, and yep. so uh, he came up here. Had a broken like, nose or a cracked cheekbone. He, he started the game and then came right out. I mean, it gets a little silly. Yeah. Ohio State quarterback Quinn Ewers has signed a name, image, and likeness deal with GT Sports Marketing for $1.4 million. It runs for three years and is in exchange for autographs. So that's a little bit of the roll of the dice there by GT Sports Marketing. See if people want his autographed memorabilia. I guess if he's one of the all-time Ohio State greats. Somebody in well, Columbus I, will, but you know, I was thinking about this because these quarterbacks bounce around, and Burrow oh, didn't play there, so he went to LSU and blew up number one pick, and and the kid last year is with the Beer Bears, Fields. What was he with Georgia, and then he moved over. Uh, JT Daniels now over there from Georgia to SC, SC to Georgia, so they bounce around a little bit. Now I don't know anything about GT Sports. Is that local? Because does this commit him? I was wondering, I was thinking about this uh, yesterday when I saw the story. If it's a local thing, does a kid then think twice about transferring? Now, the rest of the players, except I don't know that it applies, because if you're getting a deal, like we've got some guys here that we've hooked up to the station on our show, Samson Deku and Nick Ford. Well, we did it because obviously they're playing. 
and they've got they solidified their spots. I don't know if Nakua is going to be a starter, but he's going to play because the receivers you play multiple during the course of the game. The quarterback, obviously, it doesn't be a, a blight to that situation. So will it keep quarterbacks in place if they have a big local deal? And I guess the other thing with these contracts, and it doesn't really matter if it's this contract or if it's the coaching deals with BYU and Texas A&M or anybody else for that matter, if you don't see the contract, you know, what is guaranteed? Are there outs in there? I mean, they can announce this big contract, and that sounds great, but if he doesn't win the starting job or if he doesn't play a certain percentage of the snaps, is the company covered because the money goes way down? You know, if you're not reading the contract, there's all kinds of stuff that could be in there. Well, he's not going to start. He didn't win the job. The Stroud, I think he's a retro freshman, got the job. And the other, Miller's uh, another kid who's in the running, and he's a redshirt freshman. This kid just got there the other day because he blew off his senior year in high school. So who's to say he even sees the field because he's got everybody, the three, the three of those guys anyway, are all basically in the same class. Yeah. And the money may not be spread evenly. Three years, $1.4 million. It may be fifty grand the first year, and the money's backloaded. And if he doesn't get the job, there's a chance to get out of it. That, there could be all kinds of stuff in there. And this is why he left high school, because Texas didn't have anything available for high schoolers, I guess. So he left to go to Ohio State early so he could cash in. So making the money. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Jacksonville Jaguars coach Urban Meyer said he and the GM, Trent Baalke, took a player's vaccination status into consideration during final roster cuts. Quote, everyone was considered. That was part of the considerations, production. Let's start talking about this. And also, is he vaccinated or not? Can I say that that was a decision maker? It was certainly in consideration. Meyer's comments didn't go over well with the NFL Players Association. Uh, They've led led us to an open investigation. Apparently, there's a deal between the Players Association and the NFL, and I don't know. I think there's a little irony for a guy who has uh, <clears throat> spun the truth on multiple occasions and talked about core values while 27 guys were getting arrested down there at Florida and had the stuff at Ohio State too. And now he tells the unvarnished truth, PK, and we got an open investigation. Well, I don't think it's singular to him. As soon as the Cam Newton thing came out, there was thoughts yep. about that, too. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, Urban Meyer is not in a unique position here. I think this was inevitable. I don't know what the rules are. I don't know how that works. I don't know any of that stuff. But I do know that they're going to look into it, and they're probably and he's, he's not going to be the only one. I believe you were correct. Texans' initial 53-man roster has Deshaun Watson on it. Team retain, remains intent on keeping him on the active roster for the duration of the season as he deals with 22 active lawsuits. So that continues on in Houston. Cut down day in the NFL. Any of the uh, local names surprise you one way or another? Surprised a guy made a roster or surprised a guy didn't? And this takes a while to shake out, so I don't want to say anything definitive about people's career with practice squads and then an injury week one and someone could be right in there. So you never know. I was shocked. Each and every one of them. <laughs> okay, fine. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Rajon Rondo laid out why he thinks the Lakers can get back to the mountaintop and win the NBA tel- title, telling reporters, wisdom is definitely key to winning a championship. And we have a lot of that, obviously, with the agent experience on the court. I'm most excited about not being the oldest guy on the team anymore. 
I'm actually about fifth oldest now, so that's a big step for me. Going from two months ago, I'm one of the young guys now. <laughs> At 35 well, years old. No matter what age he is, he still can't shoot. Well, that does seem to be a factor. But, I mean, he's 35, been in the league this long for somebody who can't shoot. Good for him. Yeah, and he's been deep in the playoffs and won a title in Boston a long time ago. So, I think he won one last year, too, didn't he? On the Lakers last year? I believe you are correct. Yes. I know I am correct. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. A swing and a miss. A delayed double steal attempt. Throw to the plate. He is The 2-2 to Toro. Swung on and belted. Deep to right center field. This one going back, going back. Grandma, get out the right bread and mustard. It is grand salami time. Abraham Toro with a grand slam. Abraham Toro with a grand slam off. Kendall Graydon, and the player he was traded for last month. That is an oddity right there. And the Mariners, those are the only runs in the game. The Mariners beat the Astros 4 to nothing. I know for me, you know, traditionally it's uh, pastrami and rye. I always tell them to change it. I do not like rye bread. Haven't liked it since a kid. I don't like chocolate mint. I don't like rye bread. You don't like chocolate mint what? Anything. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm with you, you on the it. rye bread. I'm, I'm, I'm no go on the rye bread. Sourdough or wheat? I'm pretty narrow there. I don't know what the, what's going on with the pumpernickel French. thing. I don't even know. Oh, pumpernickel. I can take no. it. No. But not rye. Rye, to me, is on the same level as mint. Don't like it. You also heard Shohei Otani stealing home. Angels beat the Yankees 6-4. Yankees have now lost four in a row after that big win streak. Look out. Angels get the win, and Shohei Otani is just living the dream. He hits tape measure home runs. He's an excellent pitcher, and now, you know, just for kicks, he's stealing home. Well, it was a double steal. They went to second, and the throw was down, and they threw down back to the plate. And he's so long. You know, he's 6'5", right? So he was. it was a cool slide. I've seen it 50 times already. I've been up since 4 o'clock this morning, and I mm-hmm. saw it last night anyway. But... Uh, yeah, where he takes his right, his left hand as he's moving away from the base and able to get there. And he's so long that he can reach the plate. It was a heck of a slide. And, you know, he uh, speaks Japanese, uh, a little bit of English, but he does the uh, with the interpreters. And it was funny because it's a universal sign. So he pops up from the slide and gives the safe sign. <laughs> so there we saw it. And it was great. It was a great play, no doubt about it. And it's been highlighted because he is... He's a phenomenal player. And I was thinking about this, you know, all this stuff with the races and going on and it's it's a country divided. It's not that sports doesn't have a problem because everything has, there's there's an issue everywhere. But at the same time, sports is pretty good about accepting people no matter who you are, no matter what you look like. And as long as you're a great player, I mean, look at it, man. Here he is, this Japanese kid, and he is as hot as can be in our country, right? And certainly we've had it over a number of years with, with uh, like Pedro Martinez, David Ortiz, whomever it might be, uh, coming from other countries and just being superstars and being so just completely and totally embraced. So a little bit of a hope here in, you know, some issues that have obviously been in the news for so long now, and it's continuing to be, rightly so, but that we can appreciate great play no matter what you look like or where you're from. We do love winners. 
And the Dodgers win again. Do we love the Dodgers, though? Some of you do. You got ties going back. You rooted for the Dodgers since they were in Ogden with a minor league team and Lasorda was managing there. Or you just moved up from L.A. Southern California transplants. Dodgers are doing it, PK. The charge that people have waited for all year. They beat the Braves 3-2. The Brewers beat the Giants 6-2. So the Dodgers inch within a half game of first place. The Giants got down. That game was on FS1. And I watched a little bit of it. And they didn't have the magic. Had runners at the corners in the sixth. Couldn't get the big hit. Had a couple on in the seventh. Couldn't get the big hit. Don't forget the leadoff double by Wade to start the game. I wasn't with it early in the game, sorry. I was. You're the man. I am not the man. I've never been the man. Certainly not in some areas. I'm far from it, but I happen to be watching that because I was looking around. It's just, I mean, there's no college football yet or NFL, so baseball's what we got, and I'm totally fine with it. So I did watch that. Yeah, uh, I think for the Dodgers, uh, yeah, it's good news, bad news. Because you know, at the same time, their payroll's off the charts compared to everybody else. You can go look it up. Uh, so they should be good. And, 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 you know, you got the Rays over there in, in uh, the American League East. You have a low payroll, low attendance, and you can feel good about them because they're doing it with smoke and mirrors somehow, and they're doing it through the acumen of the administration in the front office of the Dodgers. And they got great crowds. They've got just billions of millions of dollars they put out there. And, they should win, and they're getting guys back. You know, if Seager's been out for a good while, he's back now. And Buki Betts has been out of the lineup. He's back now. So, yeah, there's a reason. They're really good, but they pay to be really good. <laughs> 266, almost $267 million in the payroll. The Yankees at $203 million are the only other team over 200. So Yeah, and between them, that you know, a $60 million gap. Between the first and yep. second place? Can yes. you imagine between third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and so forth? Uh, when you get down to 11, the uh, or even the Giants, who are 10th, are $161 million. So the Dodgers are outspending the Giants by $105 million, and the Giants have the 10th biggest payroll. They're in the top third of Major League Baseball. And that's a staggering amount of difference there, yep. right there. Uh, and mentioning the Rays, they beat the Red Sox. So they're 8 up on the Yankees. They're 10 up on the Red Sox. They are... Feeling good as we start September today, September 1st. And the A's have now moved within a game of the Red Sox. A's keeping those wild card hopes alive. They beat the Tigers 9 3. Bees were swept by the Tacoma Rainiers. Lost in 12 innings, 3 2. Bees open a six game set in Sacramento tomorrow night against the Rivercats at 8 o'clock. What is trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up this morning, Riley Jensen, our college football insider, joins us at 8 o'clock. And Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host on 1290 AM in Tucson and host of Lockdown Wildcats, joins us at 9.05 to look ahead to BYU in Arizona. Saturday night, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. 
The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30. Presented by Cypress Credit Union and ICON. On your home of the best college football coverage in Utah. 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Football Friday is presented by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. So, PK... The question of the day. It feels like we've been down this road before. But it also feels like this road is finally changing. Change is coming. No Power 5 opponent for Utah in the non-con. Who did that? Who dropped non-con and cracked you up? When did that start? Was that a year ago or two years ago? Had to be two years ago because there was no non-con last year. Uh, I was thinking it was a Pac-12 lady. Yeah. No Power 5 opponent in the non-con. Why doesn't Utah play a tougher non-conference schedule? Well, the short answer to that is when they went to the Pac-12, they didn't think they could handle any more on the schedule. So, Big Sky, Mountain West, BYU, that was pretty much the formula. And don't, don't double down on anything tougher than that. Now it's finally changed, and because they build schedules out, it's probably changing five years too late for Ute fans. But it's about to change here with Florida and Baylor coming on the schedule. Good. They need to do it, if not one, two. Uh, They do have one of those coming up in uh, 2023. They'll be playing both Florida and Baylor, so they'll have the two. Yeah, I don't know that those things are built out 10 years. We saw that uh, SC and LSU are playing in two years, and they just announced it. I think there's games to be had. It's a mixed bag. The Utes have an open game in four years, and Mark Harlan has said they're probably going to plug themselves into the new alliance to fill that date. So that's that one's four years out, but they do have games that are 10, 11 years out, so it gets to be a mixed bag. I think Utah is on the precipice. I don't think they're quite there yet, but I think they're on the precipice, and I'm not even sure what precipice means. It sounds fancy. The edge. That that they should be considered a national program. When you're putting this many guys, these many guys, into the NFL on a consistent basis now, not a one-shot deal. We'll see about BYU if they, you know, built up toward it and had it this past draft but is it more than just a one-shot deal? you got to do it repeatedly. Utah does it repeatedly. So they have a national program. They recruit to an extent nationally. Uh, you know, It's no big deal now, no big, uh, wow, I didn't see that coming. When they get somebody from Florida or Texas or whatever it might be, they got a kid, this Bishop kid out of Georgia, right? And he's a freshman, and he's contending for playing time at safety right off the bat. Talked to him about coming all the way out over here. Well, you know, he said, yeah, sure. They thought it was people in his circle thought it was a little bit bit odd, and he thought it was a bit odd. 
at first, but as he researched it and he, he credited Morgan Scali doing a great job recruiting, uh, but he saw what they did in the secondary and that if you're a good player at Utah in the secondary, you're probably a pro and probably going to, you're certainly going to get a look. There's no question about it. They have a, that reputation now. We don't even bat an eyelash when a Marquise Blair goes to Seattle or wherever uh, Burgess goes to the Rams. I mean, those are you know, two kids off the top of my head and we know about Blackman and Johnson. I mean, we can sit here for 15 minutes and name them all. So they are a national program in that respect, and I think their schedule needs to reflect that they are a national program. They need to go big time, as big time as they can go. Because you look at the division that they're in, or the conference, well, why they play a power five, okay, well, let's strip that back, man. Usually there's two or three teams that suck, and they slaughter, right? We don't necessarily know who they are. They change from time to time. But it's not like every game is... Is a grind. Yeah, no. I just don't see it. No, it hasn't been, not for them. No, they've worked UCLA, and uh, one time they, they, don't, they don't play... They play Cal every other year, you know, two years on, two years off. But, man, Cal came in one night and just got drilled. It wasn't very interesting at all. They had him. They had him early. I think Cal had a quarterback injury, too. So, But uh, they, they've worked some teams over the years, blown them out. Yeah. They're a national program. They're a big-time football program. And you can see, going back, looking at the draft, how things have changed. I mean, it's 21 players drafted now in the last four years, so you're averaging more than five players drafted per year, and and you didn't miss at all? No. (laughs) And they had 13 guys drafted in six years when they first joined the league. So... You've gone from two NFL guys in every draft to five in a draft, but that's more pronounced because the guys who are a year away from being drafted who aren't eligible yet, they're still pretty good players, not usually coming out of nowhere. That may change with more uh, transfers coming in and just doing the one year. Uh, but So really, back then you had four NFL guys who were you know, late in their careers and could really impact the game. Well, now you probably have ten. You do. So it's a much... It's, yeah. it's not just the draft. You've got to think, well, these guys are probably having a, at least a couple good years you know, before they go. Or should they choose to come back as opposed to put their names in? Mm-hmm. And Utah has a high percentage of guys that come back, which says something about the program too. So I think they need to do away with these Mountain West teams. I don't know how else to say it. So Mark Harlan just did a long interview with Dave Fox, and they ran some of it on Sunday. But he was talking about the alliance, and he said, um, our next available date is in 2025, and we'll probably do something with the alliance to fill that date. And he said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, you know, as teams naturally, you know, things come up and they move off the schedule, we'll put in some alliance games there. So you can Google it and look at it, and I am right now, and you may be too, but Mark made it pretty clear just because it's on the schedule right now in a certain day or year, you know, whether they're pushing games to the future or games are just going away altogether, that is certainly on the board. You know, he didn't want to announce anything, but he didn't accidentally throw that out there. Something's something's going on or they're planning to have something happen down the line. Yeah, and, and that's great, but I'm not impressed just because of this alliance because there's a lot of dog teams. Oh, who do you get, right? And who yeah. do you get in what year? I mean, does Nebraska look really good right now? But when Michigan came in, people were pumped for that, and Michigan wasn't even great. Those were 
Yeah, but they, you can't control that. That's their problem, not your problem. Depends on how far out you schedule, right? Um, who knows? They're, they're going to fill that 2025 date, but are they going to fill it in the next six months, or are they going to wait and hold it and do it just a year or two out? Were there lessons learned when stuff was thrown together real quick last year? Hey, why not? Why not hold for 2025? You're trying to create TV properties, so create the best one. Make sure the Utes are good. Make sure the opponent is good. Well, all that stuff is just, I don't want to hear it. Schedule yourself a much tougher non-conference schedule than you've done for 10 years. That's the bottom line. You think your SC's rival, fine. Think whatever you want. I don't care. But then you need to be in the ballpark that they're doing. And you need to have, and you're never going to have a rivalry uh, to the level of the SC Notre Dame. I get that. But the other times, schedule it. Because this is a big-time football program that should be playing all over the country. And it's stadium size, whatever. I mean, Oregon's going to, to Columbus. And or, uh, Ohio State was supposed to go to Oregon last year. And their stadium isn't any bigger than what the Utes play in. And the stadium's just fine the way it is. Uh, It's actually great. It's better than fine. And so I want to see big-name programs coming in here, whoever it might be. I want to see it. And a home-and-home. Well, the home-and-home with Florida starts next year. Starts, Starts in Gainesville, and then Florida will be here in two years. So that's the next big one. The other names on the schedule... Baylor, Arkansas, Wisconsin, and LSU. Those are the home and homes they've laid out over the next 12 years. That's great, but should be every year from it's, here on out. Yeah, it's 9 of 12 right now from here on, not counting this year, but in the next 12 years, they got year. 9. And this year's schedule isn't near good enough. One year, yeah, and this is the only year that will look like this going forward right now is uh, in 27. It's Wyoming, Houston, and BYU. But we'll see if they move that around. So, You're a big-time program. Your schedule should reflect it. Play these big intersectional games. Go out and pitch yourself and get it done. Play in Dallas. Play in Vegas, wherever it might be. Have a huge national interest marquee matchup early in the season. I think you should because I think this program deserves it. It's on the level of all these other programs. You know, you just you take the top tier, the same four or five teams that are competing for the playoff every year, and they've separated themselves. But the next group, I think the Utah football program is right there with them. You know, maybe a lower end, whatever, you can debate it all you want. But I believe they're in that next tier. To see Utah be ranked now, it's expected. It's no big surprise. And to see them send a pipeline to the NFL, it's expected. It's no big surprise. I guess the question is, will we still expect it and will it be no big surprise after Kyle retires, whenever well, that is? Well, he's not retired now, so why are we talking about that? Man? Well, because we're talking about scheduling over the next decade, and you made it clear you do not believe he will be here a decade from now, which makes sense. He'd be well, in his he's 70s. He's made it clear. Yeah. Uh, he's got a plan. Well, I don't care about that, man. You're not going to. Well, we're going to schedule dogs because we might make a bad hire. That's not the way you. Not the nope. way you do things. Well, it's not, and it's not the way they've done it because the Wisconsin and LSU stuff is out there. I don't. 
That, that's a long way out there. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not worried about that. I mean, they're not going to be 11-1 uh, and one every season. We understand that. But they continue to put in a number of NFL guys every year. It, there's no exceptions. And you're right. If they're putting in five, that means they got ten. Because there's some freshmen and sophomores that are NFL caliber or some juniors that decided to come back for their senior year. Looking at you, Zach Moss. Yeah, the list goes on. Yeah. So they're, they're an excellent, excellent program. I mean, I, I, I can't emphasize uh, what they're doing. And, 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 and the thing about it is they're doing it. That's the great thing is it's getting done. It's going forward. Mark, I think Mark Harlan has come in, he's recognized the situation, and he's decided we're going to do better than this. Because he knew, and that was the great thing about it, is that the other administration, and, and Chris Hill was awesome, no doubt about it, but they grew up together, became big time, and Mark came in from the outside knowing full well that they were already big time. He saw it from a distance. You see what I'm saying? So he approached it from the, there was no history there. He knew that the U of U football program was big time already. And he's come in with a big time mindset. We are as good as pretty much everybody out there. You know, you got Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson. I'm not saying the Utes are on that level. If I do, a bunch of Cougar fans are going to punch me in the head, metaphorically, right? So I want to make sure I'm not saying that. But, but look at what look at what other brand-name programs. Yes. Texas, Michigan State. Oh, they're better State. than them. They're better they, than them. You went to Michigan State, beat them, and that Michigan State season unraveled. Like a and, drum! Yeah. <laughs> like a drum! Yeah, oh, they totally did. I mean, the score wasn't indicative. I was at that game, and they dominated. They absolutely dominated that game. So the great thing about Harlan is he's come in with an outsider's perspective, and he's seen that this is a big-time program. He already knows it, right? And and I don't know, was it – I think the expansion for the stadium was – they had that in the plans and all. But certainly under Harlan's watch, it got done, and deservedly so. I mean, they've, they've got – Everything you need. I can't think that they they lack anything to be a big-time program that they already are. It's not like they have to get I – mean, I guess they have to get to that level up there that those select handful. Well, but I don't know if that's realistic, man, well, because so many schools aren't doing that. Win a conference title is the next step. After that, you can worry about, okay, win the conference title and go to the playoff. And the playoff may be changing here. You'll see how that goes. But your your point is, if you're routinely in the top three, four, five teams in your league, which they have been, then play the teams that are the top three, four, five teams in the league in these other leagues. Which I think they should be doing. And, and, Which is what and, and, Florida is, right? Arkansas and it looks like isn't. what, Mark, that's his intention. Right. So you've got to give him credit for building up. Because, you know, he couldn't come in and just change everything right. overnight and just dash well, that's all why these you teams look at that these... were on the schedule. Yeah, this is good. It's What he's doing is good. Nine, nine of the next 12 seasons, they've got at least one of these opponents you speak of. One of them 
they've got an open one of the three that they don't. They've got an open game, and he said he's going to fill it, so that'll be 10 of 12. Yeah. And he's hinted at moving people off the schedule. So in 27, they filled the schedule up with Wyoming, Houston, and BYU. I'm a little hesitant to put Arkansas on that list, though. Yeah, I get it. I get now, it. maybe they'll be better right. Maybe at that time. And you can't control that. Uh, you have no... You, well, I think Florida's a good example of a program that could be yeah. average, could be good, could be great. But I think Florida's good enough. There are, when you made the, when you put Florida on the schedule, they are a name brand. So Wisconsin and LSU are good enough then? In my mind, absolutely, yes. Yeah. Whether they will be the particular season, I can't say. And Baylor's uh, been all over the map as well. I'll I I, I put Baylor in that category of of being good enough. Maybe I'll be proven wrong when we get there. But they've largely been top three, four, or five in the league. Now, they have had a couple, whoops, kind of seasons. Well, they had some issues. What was the other guy? What's the guy's name, the coach that, they, that had to go away? Art Bryles. Bryles, there you go. And then this other kid, uh, the other guy who's now the Carolina coach, Rule. So they've gone through some coaches there. That um, is the truth. They have gotten into the Sacramento Kings kind of treadmill here. Um, They've had four coaches in six years. Yeah, so that just, as we've discussed a million times, that, that doesn't, doesn't lead work. Yeah. to uh, sustained success. What they need to get somebody in there, like Kyle, who <laughs> doesn't want to go anywhere. He wants to stay. This is where he wants to be. He's completely content. And when you got that, that's why I think when Whittingham's, maybe when Whittingham is done, he'll be appreciated for what he's done. You know, be, we still get people wanting him can because they haven't won the conference. I get that. But you get down the conference. Winning the conference is basically a one-game deal after you just played nine. So it's somewhat arbitrary in that particular game. You know what I mean? Whereas before, all those years, it wasn't arbitrary. You won the conference because you played eight, nine conference games. You know what I mean? You weren't judged on one game, and somehow that's viewed as a failure. It's kind of crazy that way when you think about it, right? You play all these conference games, and then you're judged. It's like the, it's like the big sky in the Big West in basketball. You know, you play all these conference games, and then it comes down to a two or three game deal. It's it's somewhat unfair to say, well, Utah's the big negative mark is they haven't won the conference when they just went eight and one. And then they get in there with an NFL quarterback who looks like he's going to be a star in the NFL, and they lose that one game. Oh, you guys are bums. Well, especially because when you look at who is winning conferences, every conference has got a team that's won six in a row or eight out of nine, or those are the kind of stretches. So it goes back to your point about there's a level the Utes aren't at, but if you're not Oregon, Oklahoma, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, you're not at that level because those are the five teams winning all the conference titles. Right, and that is, a, that is a cut above. So the Utes, and they're striving to get to that place. And maybe they can. I'm not going to put a limit on them. Maybe, as I say, they've got everything they need to be wildly successful. And they have been. So I, 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 to, I take a little bit of umbrage, and I don't even know what that word means. <laughs> fancy. That the criticism, oh, they, didn't, they haven't won the conference title. You go 8-1, and one and you lose this game that's played... Uh, uh, it is. I mean, I hate to say it is what it is, but I mean that's hmm. the reality of it. Is that they they did and they did lose those two games, but still, 
yeah. there's 10 other teams that wish they had the opportunity to lose that game, those two games. And I don't count last year. Last year was too screwy. So in my mind, they're the two-time defending South winners or first-place team, whatever you want to call it, because I, I reduced last year. I mean, the team that won the North didn't even play in a freaking game. So uh, forget that. Let's hope we never have that again. But this program has accomplished a ton, and we're seeing it going forward with the scheduling. And I want to see more of it. I want to see it consistently because this program has earned the right to play these games. So BYU is playing Baylor this year, and the Utes' two-year deal kicks in after that. Uh And Baylor, this is how all over the map the Baylor program has been and why you can't say it's a big-time game or it's it's an easy W. In the last six years, they've had two years where they double-digit wins, 10-3, 11-3. Really good teams. That'd be a really good game. They've had two years where they went 7-6. And And they've had a one-win season and a two-win season. That's crazy. <laughs> they are all over the map. So what do you get? We don't even know what BYU is going to get as far as a quality opponent this year, let alone what the Utes are going to get the two years after that. So, all right. Yeah, I D- agree with you. DJ and PK, when we come back, reaction to Kalani Sataki getting an extension. Hit us up on Facebook, DJ and PK. Hit us up on Twitter, David DJ James. Reactions pouring in. We'll get to it next. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. The Cougars hit the road for their season opener in Las Vegas to square off against Arizona. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7.30, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Join the big show Friday at the warehouse from 2 until 7. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Question of the day, part two. Kalani Sataki gets a contract extension through the 2025 season. Who's loving this? <laughs> this is Kalani Sataki's wife and kids. And uh, yes, Ben. <laughs> ben tweeted out, uh, Mrs. Sataki. <laughs> okay, okay. Mr. Nancy go. tweeted out, well, I mean, Kalani probably is. Uh... And then Kyle sent us the GIF. I'm loving it. And then McDonald's Am comes flying in. And a lot of people are loving the fact that he did that. We got more people uh, weighing in here. You can go to DJ and PK, but it's uh, pretty overwhelming, except for the Utes who are making snide comments. Really, Utes against for Kalani? Kalani was one of yours for ten years, man. Don't ever forget that. Well, some of them have. Gosh, I know, right? Now, um, it's not everyone has. Todd says <clears throat> I'm a Ute fan, but I like Sataki. He deserves it. Good for him. Gives him a thumbs up. There's nothing snide there. There's no snark. That seems pretty straightforward. I agree. That's the kind of fan that I like. I like the fan who can, you got your allegiance, right? And we'll just use BYU and Utah for the obvious example. You're a Ute fan all the way. I respect that. You've earned the right because you are loyal and you're committed and all that stuff. 
but I also like the ability to step back and acknowledge success or good, even if it's your rival or it's within your conference. So you and we, we're all biased. Anybody I've said this, anybody who thinks that you're unbiased, I don't buy it. No one is unbiased. We all have biases to one degree or another. Uh, so I can step back and say, hey, Lute Olson, he did one heck of a job. You know what I mean? So you should be able to do that, even though you want next week, you want the Utes to win, you're passionate, and you can even hate BYU, fine, whatever, as long as it's a sports hate and doesn't go beyond that. I'm fine with it. But you got to be able to acknowledge over here when good has been done. And you look at what Sataki has done there, and I and I and I have to try to remove my bias because we all love the dude and we want him to succeed, right? Because of a uh, just a personal feeling. I've been around this guy for twenty some years, as most of us have, and worked in the media, right? No doubt about it, because he's been in the as a player. He was fun to interview and and as an assistant coach and all that stuff. So if you can't root for him, there's an issue. Uh, but when you look at what he did with the program, you know, he came in as a first-time head coach, right? Well, right there as a first-time head coach, look at Mr. Whittingham. It took a while before he got it going, did it not? Yes, it did. Uh, there were two and a half years <laughs> there, and there was a loss. And I remember uh, we were still uh, at Simmons over there on uh, 7th East, and uh-huh. we finished the show, and it was a show just like, what the heck just happened to UNLV? How did they get shut out? List the things that are wrong, because there were so many things that went wrong. And right. at that point, Kyle was a 500 coach. And I said, do you think he's going to make it? He kind of winces. Yeah, but whew, it's only a little more than 50-50 right now, because it was not trending well. But literally, that was a game where something kicked in, and you can go to his record. It was night and day. They went like 8-1 and one the rest of that year, and then they had the undefeated Sugar Bowl season. That was literally the last loss, the low watermark before everything changed. But even when you're two and a half years and you're in the middle of it, nobody knows for sure. It's still a roll of the dice, you know? And if we go back and look at some of those games, some of the stuff that happened, could it have gone the other way? Doesn't seem like it. I mean, he had a run where he was... We added up. I think he went 41-7 and seven over the next 48 games after just a horrible night in Las Vegas. Yeah, that was awesome. That was, And then it took some time to regroup in the Pac-12, mm-hmm. and they've regrouped, and they're off and running now, and expectations are very high, as they should. I have them, too. I'm expecting a whole lot of success out of this team this year. I see no reason why they don't have it, and he continues to churn it out. So you had to give Kalani some time, and particularly in the situation, and they did it wrong by saddling him with inexperienced coaches. I mean, come on. I mean, nothing against Ty Detmer as a person. We loved him, too. But you're bringing in a high school coach to be a first-time offensive coordinator? What the crap? (laughs) You know what I mean? It it violated one of the rules we've always heard, and we usually hear it the other direction, where the coach hires an assistant coach. Not that he has it forced on, but it's actually the person he wants. And the people are like, "Mm, Really? And you'll hear the administrator say, you've got to let them have the people they want. And this went the other way. That, that wasn't his guy. Right, right, right. And so they, got, they took care of that. And a little, still some growing pains because then they had a couple of seven and six seasons. And, yeah, I, I get it. Last year was probably inflated. 
and I'd say definitely inflated because of the schedule. But the NFL still thought enough of their program to draft a bunch of guys and have a bunch of guys sign as free agents. So there was something there. And with that in mind, particularly BYU being limited because they unofficially are most likely going to have an active LDS guy being their head coach. We, I know they did the cross country with the ladies, but it, I'll be, I would be stunned if it would be at the football level. Uh, and I think they, I think there's plenty of guys who could do it, by the way, but it doesn't seem like that's what they would want. And that's beyond uh, Tom Homo or anybody in the athletic department. Obviously, it comes from a higher situation there. So it's not like they can just open it up and have a ton of people. I believe the pool of candidates is growing all the time, and in five years it'll be larger than it is today. And now you got somebody like Aaron Roderick there who has a ton of experience as an offensive coordinator, and I think you'll see that this year. And he deser- Kalani deserved it, and it's, best, it's in the best interest of the football program to do it, and they did it. So you've got to give the administration credit for doing what's in the best interest of the football program. It would have raised eyebrows if they hadn't done it. He would have been getting too close to the end of the deal. So, yeah. and I can't tell you how many times around the football program I had heard, and, and alumni too, I got stopped at a Texas roadhouse by a prominent alumni, and I'm not going to name them, a prominent alumni. 20 minutes later, my wife and another couple that we're with are outside waiting <laughs> for me. Because, you know, if you've been to Roadhouse, you walk in and you have to wait to get seated and all. And this prominent alumni, why are they loving up Mark Pope so much and ignoring what Kalani's doing when it's so hard to do what he's doing? And he had some inside information that he gave me and that he had been privy to about recruits and whatnot and a player who just got off a mission that the school didn't know if he should be admitted and blah 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 and so all this stuff so it's good to see it's the right thing to do now go forward and now the challenge obviously is to win some games riley jensen our college football insider joins us next stay with us joint hands with scotty friday september 3rd from 10 to 2 at mountain supplies tool days tailgate party get great deals on Milwaukee, Husqvarna, Faltech, and many more win great raffle prizes like jazz tickets, B-suites, and free power tools. All at Mountainland Supplies Tool Days Tailgate, Friday, September 3rd, 1505 West, 130 South in Orem. Riley Jensen is going to join us here momentarily, our college football insider, joining us every week, and we will get his takes on week one, what to expect what to hope for, what to see. And there are some big games this week, PK, but there are also a lot of games that look pretty lopsided. Obviously, this Ute opener doesn't even have a, uh, doesn't even have a point spread because it's Big Sky, it's Pac-12, it's uh, Championship Subdivision. Hey, don't be sleeping on the Wildcats. subdivision. 13 all-Big Sky guys. Josh Davis, stud running back. But they won't win. But don't sleep on them. <laughs> Those are two different things. Well, don't sleep them at the big sky level, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely not. Four straight conference titles. Let's go for five, man. That would be great. That is the goal. Yeah, that's awesome. I can't believe Jay Hill's still coaching there. Somebody should have snapped him up. 
Somebody's going to get some. They're going to get somebody, or somebody. They're going to get him. Whoever gets him, I don't know how, what I'm trying to say. I'm, I know what I'm trying to say. I can't what you're say trying that. to say is hopefully he'll stay at Weber State and win until that San Diego State job comes open in a year I am or two. Not. <laughs> Although, oh wait, that's what I'm saying. I would root. I'd root for San Diego State if that were the case. I mean, I don't root against him. I don't really care. But uh, obviously, I'd be rooting for Jay Hill wherever he goes. Time now to talk to Riley Jensen, our college football insider on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Riley, good morning. Hey, what's happening, guys? Football, it's here. Now, of course, it looks like we're slated for some blowouts. Las Vegas doesn't want to put a point spread on the Weber State-Utah game. They never do when the big skies play in the Pac-12. So they expect a blowout there. And then you see that BYU is a 12.5-point favorite over Arizona. Washington State is a 17-point favorite over Utah State. Which of these three games is most likely to have a really interesting fourth quarter and be a competitive game and a kind of thing like, I'm not going to bed early. I don't care if it's midnight. This game's getting right down to it. Who would that be? Ooh, that's, a, that's a tough one. I, I mean, I, <laughs> usually Vegas has kind of some interesting insight. <laughs> they, don't, they don't really miss very much, at least on their, on, their, on their line. If you're looking for a good fourth quarter, I mean, I guess I'm just going to go with my heart and hope that Utah State's in it in the fourth quarter. <laughs> but I, I think those lines are about right. I, the one thing that I will say, you guys were just talking about Jay Hill, and you're right, you should root for Jay Hill. That's that's a fantastic coach. It's a fantastic person. And if he's at San Diego State, I'm going to be really, 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 really upset for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> but he would be very happy to have him. I think the one thing that I could say about Weber State and the Utah matchup is there's going to be some uncomfortable moments. This Weber State team is patterned almost exactly after the University of Utah. You're going to see the same type of defenses. You're going to see the same type of players. Now, of course, they're not they're not as deep, and they don't have as many good players as the University of Utah. But this is a really good Weber fo- football team, and as I watch them and as I talk to the coaches, I think there's as many, and, and look, this is from the freshman class all the way to the senior class, I think there's as many as five NFL football players on the team at Weaver State right now. So this is not a terrible team. And I would expect for Utah fans to feel some uncomfortable moments. I mean, Josh Davis is a really good football player. you got Bronson Barron, who's already had a freshman year and is still a true freshman, right? He's, he's played some good football. There's a guy by the name of Jared Scheiss on the defensive line. You got Connor Mortensen that plays linebacker. These are fun football players to watch. And so if you feel a little bit uncomfortable as a Utah fan tonight, it's okay. This is a really, really good Weaver State football team. So we've got with Washington State and the uh, Aggies, both coaches refusing to name their quarterbacks uh, game week. And we've had that around here a time or two, but both BYU and Utah, they were pretty much knew who it was going to be, and they made it official, so they did name them. No big zero surprise there. But what do you think about this cat-and-mouse game that the coaches play? I, I, I think it's a big nothing burger. I don't... I mean, especially the first game of the year. The first game of the year, it's not like, you know, if you're trying to pick your quarterback, it's not like anybody could prepare really specifically for one quarterback anyway. 
and good sound, uh, sound and and organized defenses. Like they're not they're not really worried whether this guy is like a dual threat or whether he's a pocket passer. They're more worried about playing fundamentally sound defense. And I think I, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. More than anything, I think it's a little bit of a condemnation sometimes on their position. Like, oh, you, you haven't had a starter step forward? That kind of means that you're, you're disappointed with whoever you thought the guy was going to be, that he's not playing well enough. And so if you're still playing the cat-and-mouse game, um, most of the players know who the guy is. And if you don't start the guy who's the guy, who the players know is the guy, then then the coach is making a fundamental mistake. But I, I don't know. I... I, I'm a little bit familiar with the Washington State program. The 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 way and and really at Hawaii when Rolovich was at Hawaii, I don't I, I kind of disagree fundamentally with the way that he's treated quarterbacks over the years. I, I don't like the way he does it. It's just my opinion, and I don't think I, I don't think it helps the quarterbacks to play to the best of their ability. So if you don't name a quarterback, are you okay with not naming a running back? Because obviously the Utes are going to go into the season, much as they did last year, given three or four different guys, five, seven, ten carries, whatever, sorted out. Last year they found their guy and they gave him 27 carries in game three. It looks like we're going down the same road. You okay with that? I'm, I'm okay with it because I think it's a little bit different position. I think it's one of those positions where you can play three guys. And I think – I think it was towards the end of Mike Shanahan's career at the Denver Broncos. He started proving that you could have like a sixth round draft pick as long as you have a good offensive line, and then you can play around with running backs till you find the guy that really has the rhythm. And you know they end up having two, three good running backs every year. And I think I think that's kind of what most teams. I mean, they talk about the NFL being copycat. College is copycat more than anyone. And when you and when you start to see that, like, okay, well. We can play three or four guys till we really find out who our guy is. That's not really a big deal because even if you find your guy and you give him the ball 27 times, your second guy might be a really good third-down situational player. He might be really good at pass blocking, and he might be really good at catching the ball out of the backfield, and that's the guy that you want in the game in those situations. And so you really can find out a lot, and I think that's why when you're, when you're using your preseason schedule, it's kind of important for a team like Utah – um, it's really important for a Pac-12 team to be a little bit wise in the way that they schedule themselves so that they can ease into their conference season um, and fig- by figuring out who their real guy is. Because it's really hard to tell what a running back can do until you're in really super live reps. It's hard, it's hard to tell. So Arizona is going to go the other way. Their coach announces that they're going to play two guys, and that's a little unusual, but we've seen it. And particularly at Arizona, it's probably a little more acceptable because he's got uh, fish. He's got major uh, rebuilding to do. The program has bottomed out, losing twelve in a row. But what I want to know from you is, what do you think about when they're going to go with? Not the fact that they're going with two, but how do you set that up? Because do you go with a hard fast? Okay, you're coming in on the second quarter, but suppose the first guy lights it up in the first quarter. You're a twelve point underdog. Suppose you're up seventeen to three. Why commit to go and play? And how do you, do you have a preset 
or do you see how it goes? Because that opens it up for a lot of questions and interpretations, and I'm not sure what the answers are. Yeah, I totally agree. I, you, you have to have a plan. I mean, you can't just go into the game and not have a plan, whether it's every other series, which I think is a total mistake to a quarterback because it's, it's a rhythm position. It's like saying it's like t- saying to a starting pitcher in, in the major leagues, like, okay, so we're going to have you pitch every other inning. And yeah. I know you can't really do that, right? But yeah. you, 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 you just wouldn't do that to a starting pitcher because you got to get into a rhythm. You got to be able to like be in the flow and kind of. The quarterback position is a little bit of a rhythm position, and if you're constantly out of rhythm because you never know when you're in and you never know when you're out, that can be very difficult. I could see it more being like a first quarter, second quarter. This is what I think would happen if 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 I were to do this, which I, I don't think I would, I, I can't see a scenario where I would do this, but I think you would go, all right, we're going to give you the first quarter, we're going to give you the second quarter, and then the second half is up to me based on how you play, right? So you give them some time to get into a rhythm in the first quarter, some time to get some rhythm in the second quarter, and then you go, okay, so who gives us the best chance to win at this point? But you're right. If the kid goes out and he's gangbusters and you're up 17-3 in the first quarter, and then you pull the guy out and you put the other quarterback in, I mean, I, that would be a head-scratcher to me. That would be a real head-scratcher. And I, I hope he's flexible enough to know or to think that. And, I mean, man, the more I'm around college athletics, the more I'm around professional athletes and those sorts of things, like, man, ego is, is a dangerous thing with both <laughs> the coaches and the players. And ego can get in the way of so many different things that it's just really, really interesting when, when, when these decisions are made. I'm always looking at decisions going, okay, was there any ego involved with that now? And if there is, then you're kind of making emotional decisions instead of functional decisions. So what percentage of the time do you think people are getting it right, and what percentage of the time do you just walk away shaking your heads like, I can't save them from themselves? <laughs> um, boy, that's a really interesting question. I would say, I would say that recently, I would probably I, I, listen. Unless people want to get better, and if, unless people want to look in the mirror, they're not going to get better. And I would say that the number is probably about fifty percent of the athletes that I work with and 50% of the coaches that I work with, like really do want to get better. Like they, they're, they're not afraid to look in the mirror and see that there's a wart on their nose so they can put compound W on it. But most of the time, the, the people that don't want to, they don't want to look in the mirror and they don't even know they have warts, you know, and it's hard. It's hard to see that because we all have warts, right? We all have our blind spots. If you're not willing to look at it, if you're not in a growth mindset, that's really, really tough to work with. You do a lot of work with the mental health and and, and just uh, the psychological aspect. You've got training in that. You went back and got all that stuff, set yourself up. you got a nice thing going on. So I wanted to just ask you, it's a little bit off the subject, uh, but I think you're more than qualified to answer this. The golf tournament that they had last Sunday, right? you got Patrick Cantlay and DeChambeau. And it, and it goes into, what, five or six holes of overtime. And DeChambeau ends up losing it. He had a number of putts to win, and he couldn't sink it. 
And as I'm watching this thing, and when DJ and I talked about it, I would have bet the farm on Cantlay winning because it seemed like every time he got on the green, he knew that the putt was going in, even if it didn't. And you knew as a viewer that he was going to win draining a long-distance putt, and I think it was 17 to 20 feet. I think they said 20, but put it at 17 later. And DeChambeau had a number of putts that were shorter than that, but he couldn't make them. How much do you think confidence played into that? Because it seemed like Cantlay felt like he was Kobe or MJ with the ball and the game on the line. This thing is going through the hoop. Yeah, it was, it, uh, and I had the chance to watch it live, and it was fascinating to me. And I, I tweeted out just how fascinating it was to watch the body language of these two. <laughs> and look, DeChambeau is pretty impressive off the tee, right? And he hit some amazing shots. I mean, just amazing shots. And so did Cantlay. And it was really fun to watch. And uh, you know, I didn't have the courage to tweet it out. And and I know this will sound like hindsight is twenty twenty, but. The reason why you felt that way was the body language. I mean, the body language of Cantley compared to DeChambeau was ridiculous. And those those nonverbal cues, it's really interesting, and I could get into the deep studies about this, but the way you stand and the way you hold yourself in difficult situations can have a huge impact on what the messaging is in your brain. So they know that body language affects your, your self-talk, and they know that self-talk affects your body language. But the easiest one to fix is your body language. The easiest one to control is your body language, not all the different nuanced thoughts that go into your mind. And so you're watching these two, and there's all kinds of reaction and all kinds of body language going on with DeChambeau, especially after I think the second one where he missed like, like a six-foot putt, and all of them were going left there for a little while. And then if you watched him when he was putting, there was like really, really rigid arms, and I don't I don't know how to explain it. And it was almost like he was trying to focus too much on using his big muscles instead of his fine muscles. And I just thought that there was way so much overthinking going on where Cantlay was just like, dude, I'm here. This is a beautiful day. I'm really good at golf. I'm just going to let my body do the work. Right. I'm just going to, it was almost as if, and it's funny in, in mental toughness, you're almost trying to cut people's heads off. And I don't mean that in, in a terrible way, but you're trying to disassociate the thoughts of your brains because all of these guys have hit all of these shots a bajillion times, and they can make all these shots. It's the one that can, like, get their head out of the way and just let their body do the work. And that, that, that whole, uh, you know, those six holes were just super fascinating to me. I mean, the, the biggest reaction that you got out of Cantlay was just, like, his little, his little tongue coming out, like, oh, I nailed that shot. Oh, I nailed that <laughs> That was the only thing that he showed at all. Is, is when he was doing something good. You didn't even have to watch the drive. Like, as soon as he hit it, if his tongue came out of his mouth and he was, like, licking his top lip, it was it was money. <laughs> it was money. And it was just like, holy cow. That was unbelievable mental toughness and really fun to watch for me. And DeChambeau was amazing in his own right. But Cantley just kept the pressure on and kept the pressure on and kept the pressure on. Finally, DeChambeau couldn't, couldn't do anything about it. So I want you to go back to something you said early in the answer there about the body language and the messaging to the brain. I thought body language revealed what the brain is thinking. You know, if you're thinking, I'm not going to make this putt, I'm not going to make this free throw, a lot of times that can be seen in someone's body language, right? I saw it in their eyes. But are you saying that the body language can inform the brain about what it should think about this situation? Yes. Really? Yes. They're both, it goes both ways. And so that's why body language is so important. 
is because they've shown that body language has a direct influence on your on your your self-talk and your self-talk has an influence on your body language so if i can control my body language that puts an athlete in control and the messaging to the brain is different it's different and so it's really it's really fascinating um and it's really really kind of fun to to see people like if you watch donovan mitchell i know he's talking to some sort of mental performance coach because he is so he is so deliberate about his body language even when he's not playing well and he does all sorts of things like breathing techniques he even uses a power word or has used a power word in the past and what, what's I've, a, I've what's a power word it. what's a power word so so a power word is like well I'll give you the example I know he says the word sometimes and he doesn't do this all the time but in certain times he says the word trust underneath his breath at the free throw line right Meaning, trust your training, trust the work that you put in, trust your coaches, trust all the experiences that you've had up to this point to be in this moment, right? And then he takes a deep breath and he'll shoot the free throw, right? And a power word is really good because if it's one or two words, like a power phrase or a power word, it can actually just get you hyper-focused on the fundamentals of like what you do. And now you're not thinking about, oh my gosh, am I going to let my teammates down? Oh my gosh, am I going to let my fans down? Am I going to let my family down? Am I, you're not thinking all these negative thoughts that could possibly happen. You're just thinking about what's the most important thing that I need to do right now to be successful. And these guys are so good. I mean, you know, everybody's going to say DeChambeau choked and all that kind of stuff. Man, he's good, though. Man, he's freaking good. And just a little tweak with his body language. And that guy could be winning just bajillions of, of matches, right? Next time I golf with PK, I'm going to say the word trust before every putt that's inside of 10 feet. There's no trust from 25 feet. 25 feet, you close your eyes and you hit it. (laughs) Here's the problem. I'm not sure that you put in as much work as Donovan in the golf game. I'm pretty sure I don't. I'm pretty sure I don't. The fascinating thing to me, Riley, is, and if I relate it to my little golf situation, I play a fair amount of golf, is why sometimes I'm over the ball and I just know it is mm-hmm. going to be great. The result is going to be exactly what I want. But other times, it's like I've never been there. How do I take from never been there to where, yep, I know it's going to happen, man. I feel great. So that's a huge leap. I would, I would say that's a huge leap in your golf game. To go from, man, it feels like I've never been here before, to, oh, my gosh, Pollyanna, everything is sunshine, flower, rainbows, and glitter is a really, really huge jump. So what I would say to you, if I were working with you, PK, is I would say, hey, try and get yourself to a neutral thought. Okay? So a neutral way of thinking when you're golfing is a 3-2-1 technique. What are three things I can see? What's two things I can hear? What's one thing that I can feel? Like the sun on my face, a little bit of a wind, whatever else. Take a deep breath and then hit the ball. And what that does is for 30 seconds you had neutral thinking instead of negative thinking. Like, oh, my gosh, I've never been here before. This feels so off. My grip feels weird, blah, 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 yada, 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 right? So sometimes your biggest win is just to get yourself from that negative thought to what I call neutral thinking. And another way to do neutral thoughts is just to think the way that you would coach your best friend through something, not the way you would coach yourself because usually we're really hard on ourselves and really mean. But if you were to coach your best friend through a shot – what would you tell him right now? And that's a really, really good neutral or what I call productive thought. 
that allows you not to go to the cheesy over the top, like I'm a stud, I'm the stuff weekends are made of, I was born to be here, all that kind of stuff, right? But if you can get to, like, if my if I was coaching my best friend right now, what I would say is keep your head down and and commit to your shot. That might be the two things that you say to yourself instead of, oh, my gosh, my grip feels weird. This wind's throwing me off. I can't believe it's raining. You know, all these negative thoughts can seep into our mind when we're golfing. Just get to a neutral thought, some sort of a neutral thought. Riley, we'll leave it right there. Thanks for the football and the golf tips, and uh, I'm sure there's a basketball (laughs) player out there who can take all this to the free throw line, too. That was really fun, guys. Thanks for having me on. Riley Jensen, college football insider and mental performance coach. Riley Jensen Consulting. Join us right here on The Zone. Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host on 1290 AM in Tucson, will join us at 9 o'clock. We'll get his thoughts on the Wildcats being 12.5-point underdogs to BYU Saturday night. How goes the rebuild at Arizona? Mike Luke coming up in half an hour. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Blake Anderson, head coach at Utah State, is a guy who's coached a lot of quarterbacks and ran a lot of offenses. What are the two or three things you need to see from a guy to give him the nod and say, okay, you're going to be the guy? It's not about stats at this point. It's about a guy that shows the ability to prepare the right way all week long, be consistent on a daily basis, and then protect the ball and, and stay within the system on game day. We just felt like that with the injury we had to Bonner and how much time he missed spring and summer that we've seen a glimpse of what both can do but the best way to really be thorough is just give ourselves time I'm not going to play two quarterbacks all season but I'm perfectly fine doing that Saturday if that's what I need to do to help give both the best opportunity to kind of prove what they can do in a live setting Hanson Scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network Proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. PK, you listen to Riley right there, and you know he's gone back to school to learn a lot of this stuff. Some of it we can pick up on. I think everybody's seen Donovan Mitchell take that deep breath at the free throw line, and a lot of us have heard about breathing techniques and that, so that's probably obvious to a lot of people. I personally had not picked up on him saying the word trust, and even when Riley said he was doing it, I didn't know why he was doing it. So you hear all this stuff. How much of this stuff do you think you can apply to your own life? You know, in your case, standing over a 10-foot putt or standing on a, on a tee box, you know, with a little bit of a carry over water that might challenge you. I think that uh, and it doesn't even have to be a sports situation uh, because you look at, if you recall, way back when, we're going back a few years now, I criticized Gordon Hayward for the bad body language. Mm-hmm. And it always seemed like he was slumping his shoulders. Yeah. And that bothered me, man. If you want the big-time player uh, and you want to be that guy, then especially when you're the leader of the team, you have an added burden that you can't be slumping your shoulders because right. you're supposed to be the best player on the team. You know, And you can, you can carry that over into your daily life and, and things and how you present yourself, how you raise your family, all those types of things. So I think there's a direct correlation 
uh, as how we can be better people for sure. And if you want to do it to just strictly athletic performances, uh, whether it's, you know, in my situation playing golf or that's about all I do. I play pickleball occasionally, uh, but that's, I don't really take that seriously. And I try to take golf seriously and, and try to have that confidence or you're a younger guy coming out of college gal, doesn't matter. And you're trying to present yourself as far as getting a job and jobs, uh, you know, the, the real jobs that you want, that you train for in college, they're hard to get. How do you present yourself? I told the story of a friend of mine. I actually roomed with him for a semester in college, went to high school with him, played baseball with him, and then roomed with him a semester at the NAU. He, he went into teaching. He was going to be a history teacher, right, at the uh, high school or middle school level. And he did all the training and all, and good guy, solid dude. But he was having a hard time getting a job because he didn't present himself well in interview situations, right? So, and I've told you this story. So I knew a principal at a junior high, and I said, hey, I want you to interview this guy and uh, try to try to look past uh, that he's not the best. He doesn't present himself as well as he should. Um, and the principal hired him. And he taught at the school for 30 years. And that principal being my sister. So I was able to obviously have contact with her that somebody else would. But I believed in the guy. I just knew he didn't necessarily present himself as well as he should, as well as he needed to do. So that's not even a sports situation that you can take the training that Riley Jensen offers. And we know he does stuff with our company and he does stuff with a bunch of companies. So and it's not necessarily a sports uh, specific. It's more about the training. So, yeah, why I've always been fascinated why do some guys just exude all sorts of confidence? And we're talking at the professional level, you know, that, so they've already made it. And we know about Carl Malone's struggles at the free throw line in the critical situations. Why was that when he was such a dominant player for so long? And it's not like he struggled all the time in those situations because he didn't. He had a lot of success. But, of course, we being human beings, we remember the negative. We remember the few that he missed. And why do others succeed and, 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 and also what fascinates me too, DJ, is how somebody who in that particular game is struggling, but yet when the game's on the line, boom, Donovan. it's like they've been awesome the whole time. Donovan. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen Donovan do it already. Mitchell has it, man. He is a special player. And it's not just his ability, because a lot of dudes have ability, but I think the mental aspect is what separates him and thinking that I'm going to do this, I am going to succeed, I don't know. I haven't studied it like Riley has and made a career out of it, obviously, but I don't know how that works. I just know that when I see it and I know who has it, and I believe in Mitchell 100%. I believe in him. I, I be- Austin Colley, I believed in him 100%. Because I just knew that he was going to make big plays because he just exuded... I am a BA here, and I don't need to tell you because you're going to see it, and everyone's going to know it. I just bring up Austin Colley as an example. There's plenty of examples here locally at all the different schools, for that matter. And to see it, it's just a really cool thing. Uh, Going back a few years, the guy who caught my eye right away was Andre Miller, that he joined a team that had already gone to the NCAA tournament and won in the tournament, and everybody was back, and he took one of the starters' jobs, 
and he went out on the court, and like he didn't say anything. He was really quiet, but he exuded, I belong here. And he would get into the paint, and he'd be looking for teammates, or he'd be looking for a bucket for himself, but there was never doubt. And I remember thinking, that's got to be one of the hardest things to do. I'm just going to step in. And he didn't have like this overwhelming physical presence. You know, it, for me at least, it's easier to understand. I look at a 6'4 wide receiver and I think, well, I know why you think you're so good, right? Or you look at Shaq in basketball. Well, I know why you think you're – but to come in as like a 6'1 point guard or whatever he was, 6'2, I don't know, and just be surrounded by all these guys who've been in the NCAA tournament and won and think, I, I can do this. Okay. That, that always caught my eyes. Like, that was hard to do. You just replaced a guy who's already proven he can do it. And just fit right in. Yeah, that's why I'm really interested to see Jaron Hall because he hasn't played much. He's played a little. Mm-hmm. But the way he carries himself and the way he speaks uh, really makes it me yeah, believe it's... that he's going to be successful. And listening to his father, who was a Division One football player for BYU back in the 90s, and talk about how this is what he's been, this is who he's going to be, and so I'm not surprised by this. He's basically trained for this. He knew this moment was coming and all this stuff. I'm not sure how he's going to be. I think he's going to be good. But listening to him speak, and he hasn't done a lot of interviews, and he'll obviously continue to do a bunch, but from the ones that I've seen, I've seen that as a in his face, in his body language and all that stuff, and the way he carries himself uh, that allows me to think that, all right, they got something here. He's got something here. We'll see how it plays out. I'm, I'm about. I couldn't have any more curiosity over it here. Uh, I did, Kalani. You just played that bite. You know, it's something along those lines of the, you know we don't have to prove stuff. I mean, I think this team has a ton to prove. So, and and every team does. That doesn't put them in a unique situation. It's just that last year they took a lot of heat for going eleven and one and wasn't viewed as legitimate. You win nine ball games this year. I think that backs it up. So I think they have a ton to prove uh, as far as that goes. And the individuals, obviously, he has something to prove here because he doesn't have any substantial pedigree of history playing. But I like what I've seen so far, even though I haven't really seen anything. <laughs> you know, it's uh, from Ken Griffey Jr. to Donovan Mitchell uh, to Jaron Hall. All their stories are a little different. But when your dad's a big-time athlete the way Jaron was, how big a benefit is that? And it's hard to separate out because, all right, you're likely to be bigger, stronger, faster, right? Because, you know, you're coming from the parents who are bigger, stronger, faster. Both your parents are D1 athletes, right? But how much of it is that and then how much of it is the, the growing up around it and thinking this is normal and I fit? You know, Donovan Mitchell got to be in the Mets locker room or at spring training. And so he's around athletes. He's around big-time athletes. How much does he think, I belong, I fit, this is normal, I get this? Ken Griffey Jr. being in a locker room when he's six years old. I mean, you can't, yeah. you can't miss on the genetic part, right? Because Ken Griffey Jr.'s dad was an excellent player on a legendary I know, but they've all had team. kids. So right. why isn't there more? Yeah, there's that there's too. There's not that many. There's that I too. I mean, look at golf. How many big-time uh, – just oh. if you're on the PGA, you're a big-time golfer. But how many of their sons have made it big? Not that many. No, that's very rare. Uh, Stadler, right? Father-son uh, combo there. Uh, there's been Craig a few. Craig and Kevin, yeah. Yeah. 
And, and then uh, and a few into and to what level, right? Jack Nicholas's kids trying to go on tour. Oh, good grief! Well, there's John, a burden. John Daly's son is chasing it right now too. Yeah, he's he's younger though. John Daly's son, I think, he's only right. a teenager. Wow, you got Charlie Woods, man. You do have Charlie Woods. <laughs> get to watch him, maybe, possibly. But I mean, all those kids go into it. They usually follow the dads, but yet they don't. Most of them don't make it. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80. The Zone, Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host. The Wildcats, how quickly can they turn things around? We will talk with Mike in advance of the opener with BYU. It's coming up in 20 minutes. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. The Cougars hit the road for their season opener in Las Vegas to square off against Arizona. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7.30, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. down bringing the better life 20th anniversary tour to Yosana Amphitheater on September 7th with special guest Seether. Tickets are available at LiveNation.com. We got a pair of tickets to the show for Caller 12 right now. 855-340-ZONE. 855-340-ZONE. That's 855-340-9663. Three doors down. Yosana Amphitheater September 7th. Win your tickets now. If not right now, then later today. It's a win ticket Wednesday, so all the shows have tickets all day long. But if you don't win, you can get them at LiveNation.com. Question of the day. we got a two-parter up on Facebook. One about BYU, one about Utah. The BYU question. BYU, give it a contract extension to Kalani Sataki through the 2025 season. Who is loving this? Travis says, Kalani was one of my favorite coaches while at the University of Utah. He's thrived down south, too. Hopefully, he can make the in-state game interesting. It already is interesting. Do Ute fans <laughs> want the game to be interesting? Or do they just want to clobber BYU one year Oh, I'd want to clobber BYU, another? of course. Obviously, you want to clobber them. That's what I thought. So why does he want Kalani to make the game interesting? Just to pick two numbers, I would say like 70 to 7. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Clever. Uh, maybe he's trying to say that BYU doesn't offer as much competition. The reality is that they do. They haven't every time. And the, the way the thing is gone, when BYU wins, it's close usually it's close when Utah wins, but if there's going to be a blowout, it's going to be Utah doing the blowing out. I mean, I think that's what we've seen. So I don't know how you can argue that. There's been a few games that have not been competitive at all, or maybe the last time they played when Tyler Hunter was a senior and they were so poo-poo. Uh, it wasn't specifically a big-time blowout, but the nature of the totally game. They were totally in control. Yeah, they yeah. were. They certainly were. And I think Zach was just a freshman then, right? Uh, as opposed to what it would have been last year. But we'll never know because it didn't get played. Uh, this year going in, uh, we'll get to it next week, but my line of thinking is i got to favor the Utes because well, why wouldn't I? And I got until I see otherwise, I don't know that I can 
change that, and maybe we'll change that a little bit differently after we see the Cougars take the field on Saturday night. But as far as right now, sitting here on Wednesday, 10 days or so before the game, that's my thought. But the rivalry has been intense. It will continue to be intense. It's one of the greatest rivals, as I've said many times over, where the rivalry is just as strong even in the years they don't play. And I don't know how you can say now, I don't. I, I don't have any particular uh, experience with rivalries that are not played. My whole college football, and I never paid a lick of attention to college football when I was back east. It's such a pro area. A little bit of Notre Dame, and everybody's a rivalry of Notre Dame. Uh, so my college experience is when I moved west and lived in two communities where there were hardcore rivals, and they play every year. The Los Angeles one and the Arizona one, right? And they play every year, so I don't have any experience with a rivalry that doesn't play. So I can't speak to it except for this one. And I know it's just as intense, if not more intense, when it doesn't play. That's what makes the, among the many reasons why it makes it so great. But as far as Kalani getting the extension, it's the right thing to do, man. The administration needs to sow support in this man, and they did. Well, if they didn't, he would have been down. He had three years to go on his contract, and if they didn't do it this season, he was going to be down to two, and that sends a terrible message in recruiting. So it needed to be done, and if you're going to do it, do it earlier. So they did it. They tacked two more years on. So now he's signed for five, counting the season that's about to start here for them on Saturday, uh, and he signed through 2025. So it needed to be done. I think the, the real interesting stuff is what we don't know, and because it's a private school, it's not going to – come out or certainly won't come out as quickly if it comes out at all as far as you know what's guaranteed what are the outs what are the buyout because we know there's plenty of examples in college football of coaches who wanted to leave and they found a way to leave and schools who want to get rid of coaches and they find a way to get rid of a coach even at BYU Lavelle signed an extension and I remember talking to you at the time and you're like come on Lavelle's not doing five years (laughs) tell me another one and he didn't. He did one year. But for recruiting purposes, I guess they had to put that out there, even though nobody thought that was going to happen. No, it was sort of silly. Now Kalani is not in that category because he's much, he's much younger, younger. right? obviously. I also think, too, and I haven't spoken to anybody and I would like to, maybe I'll get a chance uh, on the road with the Cougars this Saturday in Vegas, that you know they got the Big 12 opportunity. Did they send a message to the Big 12, too? And we've got our coach. He's a minority, so we take a lot of hit here on being an all-white state and all this stuff. And that's not the case. You know, we welcome everyone to our campus and blah, blah, blah. So there's a political reason, and it sends a message to the Big 12. We're stable. We're BYU. We know what we're doing here. The guy that we have today will be the guy that we'll have then. And so everything is where we want it to be. Now we've got to continue to try to win football games. You know, you can't control that specifically. Uh, but what we can do, I think, I don't know that that's the case, and I haven't spoken to anybody because it came out yesterday afternoon. I haven't had time. But I'm wondering if it sends a message to the Big 12. Uh, we got Mark Pope under contract. we got Kalani Saga, two more, the highest-profile sports, what matter the most, we're set, we're good to go. And so you get us, you know what you're getting. Yeah, we got some quirks over here, but we are something that we want to be uh, considered and and all this stuff, and we're as stable as can get. And 
and we can overcome any issues that we've got and all this stuff. And that's the, I, I thought of that a little bit. I mean, I was happy for Sataki on the face of it and just great, good for him, and he deserves it. But I think, you know, maybe there were some Big 12 ramifications out there too. Who's to say there wasn't? Mm, you know, I, I suppose those things are all true, so they are out there. But I think regardless of that, if you're only going to have two years on a contract with a coach, you know, once you start getting down to one or two years, well, even three, you know, what what's going on? And I think that's why you heard stuff from, you know, people at BYU or around BYU, the alum you talk about who uh, who stopped you, uh, you know, at dinner. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's like at three years, you start to raise an eyebrow. At two, you definitely do. Okay, you know, but why now? Is, Last time they did it during the season. Yeah, Tom they did took it. took off the shirt. Well, that was know. that was kind of this. a that was kind of a prove it deal. Like, and you got to be, I, I'll extend you, but you, you got to have a winning record to be bowl eligible. I mean, we can't be extending you here if you're four or five win team. So I think he got. It. If you go back and look, I think he got it when they got the sixth win. Okay. So I think that was the deal then. Um, you know, now he's coming off a big season, so let's have him signed up for five years. And I I think all those messages are sent, but I think as far as the Big Twelve goes. You know, they're in an eight-team league. They're going to have to negotiate a TV contract. They've got to add the strongest members possible. And I just think the case BYU and UCF present are just airtight. You're trying to make the most money. These guys make the most money. And you weren't making the most money. That's why you lost Oklahoma and Texas. You know, the SEC got a massive, a massive deal. And the Big 12 got told, I don't really, we don't want to extend you. We don't want to talk about your deal right now. You got four years to go. Come back later. I mean, the message to Oklahoma and Texas, that's that's a pretty loud message. Sure. Yeah, I agree with you. It would just, it, some form of, uh, what would I say, irony, I guess, if BYU goes to the Big 12 because of Texas and Oklahoma and Utah went to the Pac-12 because of Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah, that's just kind of the uh, – there is an irony to it. You're right. But that's just kind of the pecking order. Some people have brand names and some people live in places where they're just a lot more people. And I know, so but the, the they same have more power. schools. I, I know. It is, it is odd. Have <laughs> but, an effect all the way out here in Utah. Yep. Yeah. You're right. You're right. It does. You know, but it, that's – that's the pecking order. You know, Utah and BYU are in a good place. It goes back to what you said, and we can get to that coming up in this uh, next segment because it turns out that our, our guy at the University of uh, Arizona, uh, Mike Luke, had something come up, so he's going to bump back one segment. Uh, he was going to join us in the next one, but he's going to join us at 9.30 now, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host. So we can, we can talk about the, uh, the Utes next. But it's, um, it, it's your place, right? They're, you're in a good spot but you're not in the best spot. You know, there are just people that for several reasons, and, and several of them really can't even be controlled here and now. They needed to, you know, it needed, I guess things needed to play out differently 50 or 75 or 100 years ago. That's where some of these schools got a leg up. Um, and they've held on to it. They, they got there first. People in business tell you all the time, get there first. And the schools that did are still reaping the benefits. All right, we'll get to the Utes and their schedule and the way they've been doing things and the way they're changing and what they're about to do, and we will do that next. Stay with us. Football Friday is presented by Stonehaven Dental. At, Sto- at Stonehaven Dental, they say yes. Yes to free exams and x-rays for new patients and flexible appointments. Say yes to great dental care. Visit StonehavenDental.com to schedule an appointment. Got a lot of people commenting on our social media about the Utes. 
No Power 5 opponent in the non-con. Why doesn't Utah play a tougher non-conference schedule? Well, the history, PK, is they moved into the Pac-12 and were worried that schedule was going to overwhelm them, so they made sure that they were, worst-case scenario, going to go 2-1 and one in the non-conference and probably go 3-0. and oh. And as it turned out, they've only lost one non-conference game so far. And the only Power 5 team they've played so far, they had a home-and-home with Michigan, and they won those two games. But we are at the precipice. Oh, you want to get into the question here? You're on the verge. What? You're on the verge. Oh, 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 the question. Yeah. It's the question. Yes. The question. <laughs> You're on the verge, the precipice of the... everything changing. And That's if you good. ask why it didn't change earlier, I think it would be two reasons. One, they weren't sure how much they were going to, uh, how quickly they were going to improve. And so they wanted to be cautious and not overschedule. And uh, two, you make these schedules, well, four to seven to ten years out, depending on which deal you're cutting. So yeah. it made it a little harder to, uh, to make the move when they wanted to. Now, clearly, they've signed five contracts with five schools. They now feel like they're in a different place. And I would say the other thing is, I think they feel the pressure, and I think everybody in the Pac-12 should, they feel the pressure of, you got to provide more value to the TV deal. The TV deal isn't good enough. Every conference is looking at their big dogs thinking, are you going to do to us what Oklahoma and Texas did to the Big 12? Doesn't matter what conference you're in, every conference has to be thinking that. Maybe not the ACC, because they're all locked up airtight for so long. Um, but you can see why someone in the Pac-12 would be thinking it. And when you play Florida, you provide a different level of value to the conference and the TV deal. And they got Florida starting next year home and home. And they've got home and home deals with Baylor and with Arkansas and with Wisconsin and with LSU. Nine of the next 12 years, they've got an intersectional game with a Power 5 team. And they've, one of the three years they don't is 2025. And Mark Harlan has come out and said, we've got a spot in the schedule. And this alliance deal, I expect that they're going to end up playing a, a Big Ten or an ACC school in there. There'll be some made-for-TV deal in 2025. So that'll make it 10 out of 12 years. And he's also suggested there could be teams, you know, deals also break down. They get pushed into the future or they don't get played. Uh, BYU's certainly gone through that with Notre Dame, right? Something changes for another school and they're like, yeah, well, hold on. And now BYU's been holding on for years. So, 2027, that Wyoming-Houston-BYU trifecta, maybe something moves there and they put a big-time game in. We'll have to see. I appreciate Mark Harlan upgrading the schedule. I think it's desperately needed. My only criticism is that not just one if you don't play BYU, then you need to have two, not just one, two. Because BYU emotionally is a big game. And so if you play Florida, that's two. I think they need to have two. SC always has two. Right. So next year, they've got Florida, but they've got Southern Utah and San Diego State. So that's still below grade level there. It is uh, to me. In two My years, opinion. they're playing Florida and Baylor and Weber State. Okay, that's good enough. Yes. And then BYU comes back on the schedule, so it'll be BYU and Baylor. So Yes. Yeah. And, and BYU, now they're, they, they're taking a break for two years, but then they're signed to play, uh, I don't even know how many more games, five, six games uh, after that. So. See, I would say play BYU and then 
pretty much any Power Five, as long as it's not Kansas or a team like Kansas. So don't give me the lowest of the low of Power Five. The predictably lowest of the low. Because we went into this earlier this morning. Baylor, who they've got, and BYU's got Baylor this year, and Utah has Baylor coming up in two and three years. So we're going to be seeing a lot of Baylor around here. Uh, Baylor in the last six years has had two seasons that were great, 10 and 11 wins, two seasons that were mediocre, they went 7 and 6, and two seasons that sucked where they had one win and two wins. So you don't know what you're getting with Baylor. They are all over the map in a way few schools are. Yeah, but I'm okay with it because it's a Texas school and it builds up your recruiting in the hotbed of Texas. The fact that they've scheduled a team in Texas, a team in Florida, and LSU, Louisiana isn't Texas, Florida, California because there aren't as many people, but it's in the next tier, Pennsylvania, Ohio, North well, I don't Carolina. Care. It's LSU. Into we could be yeah. on the moon. It's LSU. Yeah. It's a big, it's a brand name. That's way down the road. That's still 10 years away. But they signed him, so. I'll be dead anyway, so it won't matter. <laughs> it's but, uh, that you'll be dead. I do. Uh, it'll matter to the Ute fans. There's, there's 30-year-old Ute fans who are going, that's it. That they're playing LSU. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, possibly you'll be dead. You entertain a lot of people. Uh, yeah. I'll be dead, and I'll come back, and I'll tell you. See, I told you I was dead in 10 years. Uh, so I just think that it, this program needs – it's done so much to elevate itself, and it, it needs to be thought of as a big-time program. And also, too, what I'm tired of that, oh, yeah, they don't get any respect out there. I'm tired of the disrespect by telling us that they don't get any respect. And they're an underdog and all this stuff. No, that's over with. That's not the case. Two things that bug me about Brown here is the jazz. Oh, black guys don't want to come play here. Bull crap. That's not true. It's 100% false. And also Utah. Oh, they're the gritty little team out there. No, they're not. They're not the gritty little team anymore. They're a high-powered football program that has a pipeline to the NFL and need to be treated as such. So when you think you're respecting them by saying that, in my mind, you're disrespecting them by saying that. They're this gutty, underdog, little overachiever. No, no, I'm done with that. Those two premises, to go with your one thing that you do with the uh, that ad that you do, this is... Uh, I'm done with it. Solution Yeah, I'm done with it, man. The premises is, is, no, it's over. Black guys are more than willing to come to Utah, and the Utes are not this gutty, under- or overachieving team. No, that's not the case anymore. Forget it. I don't want those two narratives to be said anymore. (laughs) The narrative. And I've had it. Every time I hear it, and if I hear it again, I'll have it again. I'm sick of it. It's not true. Stop it. Last four years, Utes have had 21 players drafted, more than five per year. And under the theory that you don't just have a good year and get drafted, you probably have a couple good years and get drafted, that means you don't have five NFL-caliber players on your team. you got ten difference makers out on the field. That is a huge upgrade from what they had when they first joined. From 2011 to 2016, they had uh, 13 guys drafted in six years. So they went from 
two draftees to five, which means really four impact guys to ten impact guys. So there's a huge step up. That's where you can uh, draw the line and say, and you're no longer the gritty, the gritty underachiever. And I really think, yeah, excuse me, the gritty overachiever, yeah, the gritty underachiever. <laughs> that's an oxymoron. Gritty, that's underachiever. Okay. <laughs> hey, they play really hard, but when the chips are down, they blow it. <laughs> that, that's me, man. I'm the gritty, gritty underachiever. Gritty underachiever. <laughs> but I really think the benefit, the hidden benefit to this alliance thing that I think we're already all sick of hearing about, it just sounds goofy. But for a league where we've constantly praised the depth that other leagues don't have, that means once you get past the top team or two, teams three, four, five, six, seven, if they're matched up against Big Ten teams, I think you do well. I always thought the Mountain West teams in the Mountain West era when Utah and BYU were in that league, whether it was Utah and BYU or it was somebody else, they won some of those games, and they were always in them with Big Ten schools, even though they had to play them on the road. You know, mediocre Mountain West teams were hanging with the Big Ten. I think the Big Ten has lacked speed. I think Ohio State has fixed that, and that's why they dominate the league. Before it did. Right. It changed it. Ohio State, I think, changed the equation big time. They have speed, and now there there were teams that went back to Ohio State that were mediocre in the Mountain West that could compete. And now Ohio State will run you off the field because they have that speed. And they have the quarterbacks. And they have the quarterbacks, right? But I think once you get past them, can the Pac-12, can the top half of the Pac-12 hang with the top half of the Big Ten? I think they'll do well. Well, we'll find out next week, Oregon at Ohio State. Well, that one, no, because I think Ohio State's that awesome. And if Oregon wins, that'll be an awesome win. I, I don't think there's anything about Ohio State that should give people a lot of confidence. But I think if you're playing Michigan and Michigan State and you're playing Penn State and Wisconsin and, I don't know, Iowa, whoever else you think is, is pretty good but not great in that league, I think the Pac-12 will do Indiana's fine. Indiana's come on a little bit. Indiana has come on. Well, yeah, the Utes got Michigan twice, and they beat them twice. So I think there's, there's more. In the Mountain West era, they split two games with Michigan, and they were, they were both on the road. Well, so. unless unless Utah is beating Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama, I'm not surprised by any win they have. Right, but I think the rest of the country might be. The rest of the country might be right, surprised to see the Right, because they don't view them the way they should. Right. That's my very point, and the I'm whole, sick of it. The whole Pac-12. You know, let's see what uh, Arizona State and uh, Washington or Stanford or Cal or UCLA, whoever, see what they do when they're not playing the elite. We know... Uh, you know, UCLA against Oklahoma, that, that was a huge mismatch. And UCLA, hopefully, theoretically, will be getting to a place where they're not losing to Mountain West schools because Chip Kelly's done that a couple of times, too. All right, DJ and PK, Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host, 1290 AM in Tucson to give us the lowdown on Saturday night's game. He will join us next. And tomorrow at 8.35 in the morning, DJ and PK will be giving away tickets to see Utah and Weber State. So make sure you're here tomorrow morning, 835, for your chance to win tickets to see Utah and Weber State. Right here on the Zone Sports Network. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. The Cougars hit the road for their season opener in Las Vegas to square off against Arizona. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7.30, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK, we are joined now by Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host on 1290 AM in Tucson. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Mike, good morning. Good morning, guys. How you all doing? We are doing well. We're looking forward to the start of college football. And I'm curious, are Arizona fans looking forward to the start of it? Or have they got one eye open and one eye closed because this is going to be a bit of a project and there's a long losing streak and it may be a while before it gets better. What are they thinking? Um, it's a, well, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's a little bit of both because you've got to remember, Arizona football right now is in the midst of a 12-game losing streak. So, and last game was, well, 70-7 to against a fairly pedestrian ASU team. But the good news is Jed Fish has come in and when he was initially announced as the head coach, a lot of people were like, huh? But he's come in, he's recruited incredibly well, and he's done everything right. You know, he's been available for the fans, he's been available for the media, and, you know, right now he's looking like he might be able to bring in a top 25 class, which let's, uh, you know, let's be honest, in Arizona, that's a big deal. I look at the job that Jed Fish has to do, and I compare it to what Bronco Mendenhall had to do at BYU in Great comparison. 2004-05. They had three consecutive losing seasons. The program was a mess. And just his ability to get everybody together and unify the team and focus it on the task at hand led to six wins. It's in the Mountain West, so it's probably easier than what uh, Arizona has to do in the Pac-12, particularly in the Pac-12 South. With that in mind, how much do you think just the fact that Jed Fish can come in with all this enthusiasm, and I grew up in Arizona, went to ASU, so I've followed the U of A, and I've heard all these things you've been saying. How much do you think that can translate? Maybe you know, not big-time success this year, but maybe more success, success than originally anticipated. Uh, yes, I think, that's a, I think that's a great point. And the, the comparison to Mendenhall I think is a fascinating one because, as you guys know, BYU is kind of a program right now that I think Arizona fans should be should should look to uh, should look to emulate because you look at it and what's the first thing at least from you know my perspective I look at BYU and I think of stability and I think of basically a solid program and that's essentially what Arizona has not been for the last twenty plus years and so yes the, oh, Jet Fish comes in here and it's going to take a little while. But at least everybody is on the same page, which is a huge difference from in the past, you know, with Kevin Sumlin, where it didn't really look like anybody was on the same page. Everybody was kind of just going in different ways. There's all these, you know, questions about what's going on off the field. So, yes, the program continuity and stability looks to be headed certainly in the right direction. The problem, though, fellas, is there's just not much talent on this roster, if we're being honest. So when you see a twelve and a half point spread, uh, do you think that's about right? Oh, I think I think BYU covers that. I would imagine when I when it first came out at eleven and a half, it felt a little low to me. I would guess, and this is just a guess, I would guess that that point spread probably hits around fourteen by the time kickoff hits. Um, I know that there's obviously been money that's gone in on BYU, 
The, here's the problem, and I know you guys are breaking in a new quarterback, but just looking across, you know, just looking at the, just looking at your guys' offensive line, looking at some of the skill position players, you're just a lot bigger than Arizona. And you know, newsflash, you know, BYU, you're probably going to have some older guys on the team, and you know, it, it's great to come out and have this ability to be able to throw some younger guys out, out there, and, you know, you've got an energetic coaching staff. And I think this game could be close for a little while, but I think, honestly, I think with the way that BYU's got this going, this is going to be a problem for Arizona, and that's as much of a indictment against Arizona as it is a pro, you know, BYU remark. So Fish says he's going to go with the two quarterbacks. How's it going to play out, though? When's the second one coming in? Um, you know, this is an, it's an interesting question because Jed Fish also said that there has been separation between the two quarterbacks. And my opinion is, is that Gunnar Cruz, who is the starting quarterback, obviously is the one that has probably shown some separation in practice because <laughs> I, don't know a lot of, I don't know a lot of head coaches that are going to say, you know what, um, our backup's shown a lot of separation in practice. We're going to go with the other guy. So... I think Gunnar Cruz, honestly, is going to get his opportunity. And like Jed Fish said, he's, um, he said, you know, listen, we're going to go with two quarterbacks, but if, you know, one, guy is, one guy's got the hot hand, I'm going to keep him going. And I'm, I think that that's probably what they want. Here's the, here's, the thing that, here's the thing that's interesting, though, is that Will Plummer, who's the backup, has a lot more physical ability, bigger arms, can move around really, really good. What, um, but the problem is, He's an interception machine. He was that way in high school. He's been like that in spring practice. Uh, Cruz is far more, uh, I would say, far more reliable. But the problem, and I think, I think you guys will see this come game time, is that he holds on to the ball way too long. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, you know, in practice and scrimmage since most of it's been open, that he would just be running around and, you know, there's six, seven seconds, and then he just chucks it. He's got a – he doesn't – he's not great at reading the field, and I think that's going to be an issue for him, especially come opening night. Mike Luke joining us, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host. You, you, print, you, you, you have a pretty bleak picture here for the Wildcats. Where would they have an offense, defense, special teams, run, pass? Where might they have an advantage against BYU? Okay, so there are a couple good things. I'm glad, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you brought that up. I think the running game is going to be fairly decent. they got a kid named Michael Wiley who has been on, is on the Doak Walker watch list. He's kind of the proverbial running back that he, you know, he'll get four to five carries a game and he gets 32 yards. So you look at it and you're like, wow, his yards per carry is you know, six or seven. He's a kid that I, and he's really bulked up this offseason – He's a guy that I think has a chance to go for 1,000 yards. He's quite good. Now, and defensively, I think if Arizona's going to surprise some people, oh, and by the way, for all your uh, uh, listeners out there, I think Arizona does is better than the two-and-a-half wins. I think they get three, totally off topic. But when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, there's one guy that I think is going to be a monster for Arizona, and his name's Jalen Harris. He's a 6'6". 240-pound junior, Don Brown, who's the new defensive coordinator, who was Michigan coordinator for five years, obviously has been around some talent. 
has compared him to a lot of guys that he worked with that went on to play in the NFL, guys like Chase Winovich, players like that. And I would he's the one that I would tell BYU fans to certainly keep an eye on because Don Brown, without saying it, I think is expecting him to have around a 10 or 11 sack season. And I think the defense, as long as they don't get totally worn down, I think that they can cobble together maybe a fairly decent unit. Uh, as I understand it, in researching, I think they like their cornerbacks too. So I'm interested to see what the cornerbacks can do against BYU, which has deep and I think has a good level of receivers. Yes, the cornerbacks. The cornerbacks are interesting because you've got two kids. You got a guy in Christian Roland Wallace, who is the only corner on the team, or excuse me, the only player on the team that has a had a legitimate USC offer out of high school. Um, Arizona generally doesn't get those kind of guys. And so he's going to be lined up on one side. And then on the other side, you're probably going to have Isaiah Rutherford, a Notre Dame transfer who is an ex-four-star kid out of California. And they're both fairly tall guys. I mean, you know, Isaiah Rutherford's about 6'1". Roland Wallace is probably around 5'11", 6'0", but he's a bulky, you know, 195, 200-pound guy. So, yes. They haven't shown a ton in games because, obviously, you know they haven't played a ton. But I would imagine if Arizona's going to surprise some people, those are the duo right there that are going to have to be good, and they're going to be able to have to not really be on an island because they're not those type of players, but they're going to have to both be above-average Pac-12 caliber players for Arizona to put together a pretty good defensive unit. So, yes, you're, you're, you're spot on right there. There's cautious optimism when it comes to both the corners. Do you believe Arizona will be able to tackle any better than they have in the past? Yes, just because they can't get any worse. Um, the last you know, the last couple years under uh, uh, Kevin Sumlin, it was a combination of terrible technique and guys that just really didn't care. And the first thing Don Brown uh, said when he came in is if you don't run to the ball and you don't tackle you won't play for me and he means it this is a unit or this is a team that you know there's not a ton of expectations you know when you go into the season with a two and a half win when you go into the season with a two and a half win over under you're obviously not expected to do a ton but the one thing about this team though and the one thing about uh, Brown is he knows that and so this is kind of a bridge you know, I don't want to say throwaway year. It's, I think it's a little too lazy. But so if these guys don't play, I mean, he'll literally throw in the second and third stringers and say, okay, you know what? They might not have the ability that the first team guys do, but at least when they get their hands on the ball carrier, they're going to tackle them. So it's certainly a thing where, you know, BYU, I imagine, is going to continue to run the ball, and Arizona's going to have to be able to tackle because there's going to probably be a lot of second-level tackle opportunities for the linebackers. You already mentioned the one running back. I'm wondering where the Northwestern transfer Anderson fits in because he had success in the Big Ten. He's an interesting guy because he's Damian Anderson's son, so he's an NFL, you know, he's got NFL bloodlines. He's, it's weird, though, because he's gone back and forth in camp. Sometimes he was running with the backups. Sometimes he was running with the threes and the fours. He's, he, he, did have some, he did have some success, you're right, in North, at Northwestern. But he's also one of these guys, too, that when you look at him, he's not a really big dude. 
he doesn't really stand out in practice. I think he's probably going to get the second team reps come uh, come game time, and it'll be interesting to see what he can do with those because you know, as you guys know, some guys sometimes people are gamers. Sometimes people go out there and they just you know, and they just need the lights to go on. And I think if you're Arizona, you're hoping that's the case because he ideally, I think, with his experience, would be the perfect uh, complement to what Michael Wiley does at the running back position. So there's a lot of transfers. Is the transfer portal the way to go to rebuild the University of Arizona football program? Or is this just kind of a one-off because they need guys? Jet, you know what's funny? Jet Fish mentioned that in his or in his uh, coach's show, and I think it's a twofold. Uh, uh, first of all, you needed guys, um, but second of all, he made a point though. He said, if you look at the transfers that we brought in, a lot of these guys are guys that have three or four years to play, and so he brought up Isaiah Rutherford. He brought up a uh, Jason Harris, a defensive end from Colorado, who was a four-star uh, pass rusher. Um, you look at guys like that, they have three to four years to play. Where And then, you know, you do look at it, it's got some guys like a, uh, a Trey Hayward, who was a transfer, you know, from uh, uh, Western Michigan, who was a small school All-American type. He's only got one year to play, but he's, he was good enough that you obviously bring in a guy like that. So I think you try to bring in guys that can play, but you also buoy them, hopefully, with guys that you know can come in and hopefully be able to play and contribute immediately, even if it's just for one year. You know, same thing with a guy like a Gunner Cruz. He comes in, he's still got four years to play at the quarterback position. So there's a lot of these guys that it's almost, with the, with the COVID exception, it's almost like you're bringing in guys that are almost high school kids if you think they're good enough. Where are the wins coming from? That's a great question. So I, uh, they should, they're, they're, they're going to beat NAU, and if they don't beat NAU, then there's obviously even bigger problems than we think. I think they have a pretty good chance against San Diego State. Uh, that game's at home. I know San Diego State's won 10, 11 games a lot, but at the same time they're losing 70% of their people. Then I think in the Pac-12 they're going to have to sneak one, whether that's, Colorado, whether that's Colorado, you know, you've got a game, We've got a game against Cal, UCLA, possibly Washington State. They've got a few winnable games there, and so I think they go into the conference two and one, and I think they win one, possibly two conference games. So that's where I know I didn't give you the exact three, but I think those were two come from, and I think that they've got, or they've certainly got some winnable games in the conference. Well, Mike, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and talking a little uh, Wildcat football. And BYU fans like the way you think. Cougars are going to cover. So BYU yeah, fans are anytime, on board with that. Anytime. You know, it's one of those things, even if, uh, even if Arizona loses, it's, it's, I think it's, we're just excited down here just to get a new era rocking and rolling. Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host on 1290 AM in Tucson. Join us right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. A reminder, tomorrow morning, 8.35, we're going to give away tickets to see Utah and Weber State. Make sure you're listening at 8.35 tomorrow morning for your chance to win. Your feedback coming up next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. 
Time for your feedback. PK, the yeah. listeners are combative this morning. On your behalf, they were really they're willing to link arms with you and charge into the fray. Greg just tweeted at us, that guy called your Sun Devils pedestrian PK. Are you gonna put up with that? They play to win the game. Well, he's channeling Herm when he was with the Jets, I think it was. Yes, he is. Uh, I mean, they were two and two. I don't know how much more pedestrian you can get than 500, right? That is the very definition of pedestrian. <laughs> so, if well, there wasn't enough games to really make a fair evaluation. Who's to say they wouldn't have gone nine and three? You know what I mean? You don't know, or for that matter, four and eight. I mean, you don't you don't know because it wasn't played. But you have to look at. I mean, I think Herm. They've been pedestrian. They're like seventeen and thirteen in his time, and 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 three of those wins have been, or two of those wins, uh, I think, have been over Big NBA Sky teams. Yeah. So I mean, come on, let's call it what it is. I don't have any problem with that. I think I think it, what it accentuates is how bad the U of A was, not how good ASU was. It's <laughs> how comes, awful. Here comes a pedestrian team, and they ran you off the field seven Yeah, I, I think it's more of a reflection on how bad the U of A was, which is the point he was making when he said pedestrian. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't come on with any illusions about how quick this turnaround would be or how good the Wildcats would be right out of the gate. Couple no, I think spots. if they got the three wins and they were competitive, that wouldn't be so bad. Yeah, and I think I think underlying the competitive part, right? Are those yeah. conference games, they're they're bound to lose a bunch of them, but are they going to lose by seven or ten? Or are they going to lose by twenty-seven or thirty? Yeah, you're looking for small steps here. You know, you got to give the guy a shot. Obviously, he's got to he's got to get some serious time there before he can before we can make any any pronouncements and any judgments, right? You would think so. 12-game losing streak. The roster clearly not built for success. So no. starting, from, starting from the ground floor. Yeah. Uh, Riley came on. Riley Jensen came on earlier this morning and said, Weber State has five NFL players on the roster. And USU Aggie fan tweets back, congrats to Weber. That is great. Five NFL players on a Big Sky roster. That is a big number. Well, we'll see if that comes to pass. We will see if it comes to pass. And probably not all at once in one draft either, but... No, no, no. He wasn't saying that. Nope. 73 Military Mama 9. I don't like BYU, <laughs> but I love their coach. Happy for him and the team. Yeah, for sure. Kalani's got his fans, and they don't all wear blue. I mean, that's exactly where I stand. I don't like BYU, but I like their coach. <laughs> Uh, Kalani's reputation is rising, and BYU players, administration, and fans are shouting. Well done. Oh, the rise and shout spiel with the uh, yep. fight song? Yeah. Yep. I, I see what he done there. Stonegate for me. Very clever. Mountain Climber 01 says, there were some rough patches in year two and three, but I like the adaptations Kalani has made. Well deserved, and I hope he keeps it up. I get it. He's got five years, the first two. 500 ball right on the button. And then the last three, uh, what are they, 25 and 13. So winning about two out of three. What do you mean the first The first year they went like nine and four? And the second year they went four and nine. So the first two years, 13 and 13, right at 500. Oh, I thought you meant. The next three years, 25 wins and 13 losses. I thought you meant each individual season. Nope, not each individual season. Gotcha. 
And now it's year six, and we know the pipeline's a little slower for talent at BYU because so many guys are going on on missions. So time to ramp it up and see what they've got and how good they can be with five Pac-12 teams on the schedule. Yep. Kenneth Wilkes, I'm a longtime Ute fan, but I love this. Well-deserved for Kalani. I think he's a class act. I agree. So we're getting a lot. We're getting a lot of that feedback here this morning. Yeah. Uh, not a lot on the youth schedule, maybe because that's uh, one more year where they're going to be heavy favorites, uh, and then the intersectional stuff, the the other Power Five leagues, that stuff starts next year with Florida coming on the schedule and Baylor the year after. So I just I don't think one Power Five though is that big of a deal, well, especially with BYU going off. If, if Florida came on and BYU stayed on, that would be a little different. Yeah, I don't want to give them a ton of credit for just simply playing Florida. I'll give them some credit, but I think they can well, be tougher we'll look, than that. We'll look forward to the game, but then it'll be followed up with, well, I don't know what the date is on the Florida game, but they'll also have Southern Utah and San Diego State. So, Okay, some interesting news out of Colorado real quick here before we go. Brian Howell, who we've had on this show, says, Big news for Colorado's defensive lineman, Mustafa Johnson. He had declared for the NFL draft in January but was not selected. He's been granted an NCAA waiver to return to CU Boulder per a source. It's unclear who, uh, when Johnson, who was a second-team All-Pac-12 honoree in 2020, would be eligible to play. But he is coming back after having declared to go pro. Mm, that's great. I wonder what the youths think of that. Their rival getting a big-time player back. Yeah, I wonder when he'll be back this season since the youths play them in the 12th and final regular season game. If he's coming back, he'll be back by then. Buffs have Texas A&M coming up uh, for their second game this year, so we'll see if they get him for him. He would help there, you would think. All right, DJ and PK, that's going to do it for us this morning. Although the College Football Roundtable is coming up later today. So more of us later today here on The Zone Sports Network. Make sure you're listening 4 to 6 o'clock. And uh, it'll be all college football and the whole staff, and it'll be crazy. Coming up next, Hans and Scotty right here on The Zone Sports Network.